Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I am David Chen, and joining me today are... Devendra Hardwar. Jeff Kanata. Joining us also as a special guest, Tara Ariano is one of the people who helped to invent the concept of the online TV recap. She's also one of the co-hosts, <laughs> also one of the co-hosts of the Extra Hot Great Podcast, and she's the co-author of a very special 9021 book, 93 Absolutely Essential Episodes from TV's Most Notorious Zip Code. Tara Ariano, welcome to the Slash Filmcast. Tara, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you, David. Uh, Tara and I also hosted a podcast about Succession uh, Season 2, The Sweet Smell of Succession. Great fun. Tara, you just published this 90210 book. Tell me, um, wh- what is the audience for this 90210 book? Why did you write it? Anyone who and, loves uh, amazing titles of books? That is a <laughs> yeah. fantastic title. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, I mean, you, you. I know you bought it. I don't know if you read it. <laughs> I don't think that you're necessarily the audience for it. You're probably a little bit too young. Um, but I think the audience <laughs> seems to be people that are my age or thereabouts. I was in high school when the 90210 characters were in high school. When the show started, we were all the same age. And then they all did the 11th grade twice. So then they were all a year younger than me. Um, but now it's, you know, we we brought the book out in time for the 30th anniversary of the show's premiere. It is 30 years old <laughs> for people who are my age. That's a tough one, but it is a fact. I'm sorry. Um, so, yeah, I think people who who have loved the show, who have watched it in syndication, it's basically never been off the air since it started. Um, and now, even if you can't watch it on pop TV or wherever else it airs, it's certainly on Hulu and CBS All Access and and generations of teens and post-teens have watched the antics of these uh, very privileged uh, idiots over the many, many years. (laughs) And um, I think that the audience for this book are people who have the same attitude toward it that we do, which is, you know, mockery from a place of deep, deep understanding and love. Well, Tara is one of the most brilliant recappers working today, um, and so I would highly recommend a very special 90210 book, 93 Absolutely Essential Episodes from TV's Most Notorious Zip Code, if you are into TV recaps and or 90210. And uh, we're really thrilled to have Tara joining us today on the podcast, because today on the Slash Filmcast, we're going to be discussing what we've been watching, we got some weekly plugs for you. And then we're going to move on into an in-depth review of Borat 2, a.k.a. Borat Subsequent Movie Film, a.k.a. a title much longer than that later. I'll get to it. But uh, yeah, so that's what's in store for you today on the Slash Filmcast. You can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmcast.com. You can also email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Before we get started, I do want to acknowledge that last week on the podcast, we did announce the launch of our new Patreon. At patreon.com. Woo! 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 We love Patreon. At patreon.com slash film podcast. That's patreon.com slash and then the words film podcast. <laughs> uh, Nearly 700 patrons at the time wow. of this recording. Amazing. That's amazing. amazing. Yes. I, I think uh, we can get to a thousand before November. I really do. Yes. I, I agree. So if you are interested in supporting this podcast and investing in its longevity, and keeping yeah. it going long into the future, all you got to do is go to patreon.com slash and then the words film podcast, all one word, all one phrase, whatever. Uh, and, no one is uh, being charged until November. So why not correct. sign up now? 
It's all Why good. not sign up now? Yeah, you put you know the the whole the getting charged for our Patreon is a later you problem. It's not a now <laughs> <Exactly>. you problem. <laughs> you know, so you're living it up in Spooktober. You can just clickety click. Nothing even happens. You don't even know that money doesn't get taken away from you at all. When November rolls around, who knows? We got bigger problems. Yeah, you know? we got bigger problems. We got bigger problems at that time. That's right. Um, but yes, in all seriousness, all of our uh, stuff will be all of the uh, Patreon. Uh, rewards like the ad free episodes, the after darks, that's all going to start in November. Make sure you get it in on the ground floor. And I do want to remind people that we will be releasing them on the main podcast feed, the after darks and stuff like that, um, on the main podcast feed through the end of the year, but they will come out later. And you're, you're really just going to want to get in on the Patreon on the ground floor. You know what I'm saying? I love how um, our ground floor is literally 15 years into this. That's our yeah, ground so, floor. That's the ground floor. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We're, we're a little uh, slow on the uptake, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, also, uh, we have a tier that is our money horse tier, right? Yeah, That's um, Best tier, money uh, horse tier, best tier. So Tara, uh, you you may not know what the expression money horse means. But actually, there's probably a lot of new listeners who have no idea what money horse even means, right? So uh, to be fair, it, none of us knows what money horse means. But it came, it came from a uh, After Dark episode, I think, with Jeff Kanata, in which Jeff was looking for a term that meant something that you know was it was something that generated a lot of cash and he's like what is it it's like a money horse uh and he, he was trying to say cash cow right. um but he said money horse and uh I mean, the term he was in stuck. the right barn i guess I was yeah in the, same I was barn. In the right barn we should barn trademark park. this term you know we invented it jeff this is all <laughs> yeah. you come on yeah yeah uh, money horse is so much better than a cash cow come on nobody so, likes a cash cow we have a tier that's money horse. It has no additional rewards except the knowledge that you are a money horse and therefore amazing. And you want to get it on the ground floor of money horse dumb. Yeah, you know, you uh, want to be able to be an OG money horse. It's so true. It's so true. As of today, rights. as of today, thirty-two money horses. Whoa! It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. So wow. Want to say thank that's you a to money everyone. Stable. <laughs> <laughs> Taking this analogy a little far, Jeff, but um, <laughs> but thank you to everyone who contributed, and uh, I anticipate a lot of um, uh, great. Uh, no, you know, great too strong of a word. A lot of content a lot of coming out. <laughs> well, here's the thing: hey, hey, money hey, horse hey. happens when we're completely, you know, insane and hallucinating, and that's <laughs> that's more of what you're signing yeah, up it's for. More of what you're signing up for. That's right. Please that's pay right. for it, yeah. and we will more produce of our more of it. More yeah. tethered lunacy. Speaking yeah. of which, do you know what this show is run on, you guys? What's that, mm. Jeff? Money horsepower? Mm. Bye. Wow. Not bad. <laughs> Tara's just piecing out, piecing out right now. Um, okay, so in the last, uh, so thank you to everyone who backed us. Again, patreon.com slash film podcast. Let's move on. Um, you know, during these opening segments, we've been using this time to kind of check in on how each of us are doing. And then in the last few weeks, we've been kind of checking in on the state of the film industry. Uh, we've been checking in on what's happening in the world of movies, um, the slow, potentially soon to be rapid uh, death spiral of the theatrical film going industry. Uh, AMC may be declaring bankruptcy by the end of the year. Uh, a lot of the things that we hold dear and love uh, are probably going to be dead uh, by the time uh, this whole coronavirus pandemic is over. Uh, and so today's check-in, uh, rather than talk about any of that, I thought we'd just mention that Quibi is shutting down, guys. Quibi. Aww. Uh, this is a, So in app- contrast to the things that we know and love... Quibi is shutting down. <laughs> let's just let's just dance on the grave of Quibi. How about that? That'll give us so, joy. So, Tara Ariano, I'm curious. You know, Quibi. Uh, you you are somebody who covers 
uh, streaming, uh, you know, television and, and those kinds of things. What were your thoughts on, Twi- on Quibi when it first was released? Uh, what was your prognosis on this service? Oh, I mean, I didn't think it was a good idea. I didn't think <laughs> now was the time to do it. Um, I mean, there were a lot of structural problems with it right from the start. There were some ideas that I thought were good and were good for the format. I mean, show ideas, uh, a couple that we and we watched all of the ones that 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 launched on their launch day. We watched all of them. Tara um, watched all of the Quibi wow. shows and it took it took her like over two minutes, I think, to t- yeah, take that yeah. all in. It took most um, of a day, <laughs> but I, I, I did. Uh, while holding did, up your phone, did you do you have to like create some sort of structure to keep your arm up because you couldn't watch those <laughs> things anywhere else? Perhaps a golden arm, perhaps. Yes, yes. That um, one hadn't launched. That didn't yeah. that didn't come until later. But yeah. but the problem, the main problem with this with this format is that, you know, we all know this. If you want your content to go viral you have to make it possible for people to mm-hmm. take screenshots and make gifts, and that was not possible on their platform. They eventually added that functionality, but by the time they did, no one cared anymore. Like it was already failed. <laughs> so you know, this is this was always going to be something that was in, in competition less with you know traditional TV and other streaming platforms. It wasn't in competition with Hulu. It was in competition with YouTube clips. And it mm-hmm, was never going to mm-hmm. beat them, no matter how much money they threw down the hole, which was so much. Yes. <laughs> like the only thing that made me think <laughs> this could work is that they were throwing an unconscionable yeah. amount of money at it. <laughs> yeah. And then eventually someone grew a conscience and was like, we can't do this anymore. And that's why it stopped. So <laughs> I don't I'm think not surprised it happened. I'm kind of it, surprised Tara. it happened this fast. Yeah. Yeah, I did think they could keep burning money for a little bit longer, but it's it's been about six months. Basically, the coronavirus pandemic lasted longer than Quibi, that's which right. is not something I think we would have predicted. Well, that's the kind of the bummer about this whole thing from a lessons learned standpoint is that mm-hmm. it seems zero have been because mm-hmm. uh, all of the all of the explanation is uh, laid at the feet of coronavirus, as if as if Quibi would have done fine were it not for a global pandemic, which I find to be the wrong analysis <laughs> it was right. the first so, thing jeffrey katzenberg blamed like as they were launching yeah, of course. And things were slow so it was like it's yeah that's out. always gonna be the fall thing yeah 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 so it turn, turns out there was not an audience for extremely expensive short form content that you could only watch in an app um by the way another another thing that helps uh people to enjoy content together being able to play it on a television yeah, uh, another yeah. another thing that might help people you out, watch things than, with other people rather than forcing people to crowd mm. around the TV uh, around the cell phone, I should say. And um, I like what Casey Newton over at his new uh, newsletter platformer said about this. He says uh, on Twitter, "quote I take no pleasure in Quibi shutting down. It gave away a billion dollars to artists and journalists. Yeah, but in a crazed time, there's something weirdly comforting, uh, weirdly comforting in thinking a thing will fail." And then watching it fail for exactly those reasons, mm-hmm. dude. This is it's this is the best great. take. That's the best take because yes. it, there is the Schadenfreude of it all. Uh, because I think all of us on the face of of it went, "This is a bad idea." But but what makes this the best take is, yes, that is a terrible blow to people like us who want to make things for a living because. The competition, as Tara rightly pointed out, is YouTube. And the fact that YouTube makes billions of dollars on the back of people giving it content for free is not good for people that want to make things for a living. It's, it is much better. It, 
as somebody who does that, I will tell you, I much prefer getting money for a thing and then making it rather than making a thing and hoping enough people watch it that the pennies will fall from the heavens. It is, sure, uh, sure. it is a, a much less uh, sustainable business model from a creator's point of view, I, but I a much like more way, sustainable. It's a much way, more Jeff. sustainable one for a giant monopoly network point of view. Yeah. Either way, you're waiting for money to fall from the heavens. Like that's that's the thing. The only reason Quibi had that money is because Katzenberg had that clout to be like, I could create a new thing where every other thing before me has failed because nobody wants mobile video, but I'm going to spend two billion dollars to try to make it happen. Um, but the lesson and, that people yeah, will learn yeah. is that we don't want to we don't have to pay for content. I don't I don't know. I don't know if that's it. Um, I will say to to the other Casey Newton point, by the way. I will always have the memory of sitting in front of, Je- of Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg Whitman at CES and telling them, this is not good. Like this, <laughs> so many things about this are not great. And they told me straight face, like, we believe we can create a third tier of content that people will definitely pay for. And I just had to say, okay, and walk away. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, it is certainly the thing where, you know, everybody called it. It was very, it, the writing was on the wall, but there, the sheer like, funding behind them and the sheer like Hollywood clout they thought they could make the impossible happen and it didn't and I think in this case it's kind of I, I don't know I wouldn't say it's schadenfreude but you know I'm not taking pleasure in it it's just we we told you we warned you guys come on the thing that's interesting to me is like how little market research it seems was done about this you know like mm-hmm. su- survey a bunch of uh, a, bu- a bunch of those kids out there today ask them would you pay I think it was like six dollars a month or it something. It was something so much. It was, com- it was comparable yeah. to Hulu. Like yes. it yep. was crazy. Hulu or Disney Plus. It's like, would you pay this much for these little short, short little bites of content that are uh, at best comparable and at worst much, much worse than what you could get on TikTok or YouTube for free? You know, would you pay for this? Um, maybe ask the question. Maybe do a survey. And like, I gotta imagine they did. And you know, maybe all the surveys were wrong, but maybe they just didn't even do the survey. Maybe it was pure hubris. Um, That's so why that- you have offspring, Dave. If you're a, a very successful executive <laughs> for a long time, you have offspring. So you can ask them around the dinner table and make multi-billion dollar decisions based on their offhanded comments. Indeed, indeed. I don't I don't know if that really would have been the silver bullet in this case, because I'm pretty sure they, they do have kids, Jeff. But no, uh, the, that's what the, I'm the, saying. I, I guarantee you Jeffrey Katzenberg was like, hey, kids, <laughs> what do you think? Or maybe not Katzenberg, but, you know, the, the team there. <laughs> um, and the other thing is, uh, yeah, there, there is uh, some shot in Florida about, like, this is a bad idea and you should feel bad, you know, to quote Zoidberg. Like, mm-hmm. it's a bad idea, you should feel bad. Yep. And uh, it's it's actually, like, it's gratifying that, hey, we thought this terrible thing would happen, which is this company would fail, and it failed. But um, on the other side, you got to recognize that, like, a lot of people work at a company like Quibi whose names you will never know. You know, people who aren't Meg Whitman and Jeffrey Katzenberg, whose failure you can take great pleasure in. Like those people's failure, you may want to take great pleasure in, but there's developers and PR people and marketing people and uh, people who work on the product and, you know, all these things, uh, all these people whose work is just lost now. And so it is kind of a tragedy in that way. It is very sad in that way. And, um, uh, meanwhile, I have a feeling that billionaires Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg Whitman will be okay. They're going to survive this. We'll probably thing. So, be fine. Yeah, yeah. So it's just it, it, you got to keep it in perspective. You know, got to keep in perspective that like there is some sadness here. Um, but I, 
I, I do think that it will be a while before somebody attempts anything like this again. And may, maybe that's for the best. But um, yeah, yeah. Do you want to I, don't, I, I don't agree with that last not. point at all. <laughs> well, just uh, not not that uh, I'm not saying you shouldn't pay for good content. I'm just saying like specifically this idea of trying to create this third tier. I think that this your is phone that you pay for the, is not smart. At this it's point. not the first and it won't be the last attempt at trying to it's been like a come fifth. up with. Exactly. Was, and that's what I'm saying. It's not going to no one's going to learn from this that. This is a bad idea. I think it's, they're going to continue to try to figure out ways. Uh, they, all the kids with their phones, let's, let's put something that's just mm-hmm. on the phone. I don't think that's going to... Well, you know, oh, they love that TikTok. Let's yeah. charge them for it. In the vein of positivity, let me throw out something that I played with that is sort of like the anti-quibby. It's called What If I. Nobody is using it, but I wrote it up at Engadget. And it's pretty cool because it's like choose your own adventures for mobile video. And it's fun and interesting and uses like your phone in cool ways which Quibi did not. So that's a thing you can check out if you want to spend some time on your phone. Uh, before we move off this topic, uh, so wait, hold on, Devendra, the app is called What If, is that right? What If I. What If I. What If okay. I do this. Yeah. Uh, Tara, before we move off this topic, uh, what do you think is Quibi's creative slash cultural legacy? Are there any of these shows that you felt like, that was pretty good. Maybe we're going to see something like that again from, from a content perspective. The, the one that I remember the most fondly from when we watched all of the pilots was uh, called Game Show with a Y, so game like gay. <laughs> and it was it was based on what had been a stage show in New York. It was hosted by Matt Rogers and I want to I think it was Bone Yang. Um, he might have just been a guest. I forget. No, he wasn't one of the hosts. He was a guest. Um, but it was like, you know, it challenged straight men to do gay stuff <laughs> basically not that kind of gay stuff which like tested their knowledge of gay culture i think that's um, called a fraternity <laughs> <laughs> it was it was really funny it was like meant to be fast and dumb and it it like it suited the the platform and it was something where it was like i can see that working on true tv so that was something where i think it could have another life although you know matt rogers is now hosting a, a dog grooming competition on hbo max so he'll be fine i guess but um the other challenging one challenging dogs to do gay stuff <laughs> dogs are always doing doing gay stuff i can tell you that <laughs> from true. experience but um the other one that i uh that i was sad when i started hearing about it that came out later this summer was called the mapleworth murders i think um and it was with paula pell john lutz who's a writer on the set of the late night uh, on Late Night with Seth Meyers, formerly of 30 Rock, who was the writer on that as well. They co-created it. And it was basically like a spoof of murder she wrote, except Paula Pell was um, Jessica Fletcher. Oh, and they got, I love and They called Pell. in every single favor <laughs> they could from every amazing comedy person that they could find to do this, you know, ridiculous show. And it was like, why isn't this on NBC? Like, why is this on Quibi? take three of these quibbies, glue them together into a regular (laughs) show and put it on Hulu or Peacock. Like, why is this here? So, I I mean, from what I understand, the people that created the shows retained the rights. So that could happen. We could start seeing, you know, content that was sliced up for quibby purposes (laughs) surfacing on regular ass platforms. And I hope we do. That's one. But in terms of everything else, I'll just say, like, there's going to be a time in the future where people are going to look at a list of, like, here were all the pilots that came out in 2020. They're not going to understand what the fuck Cube Quibi was. And they're going to look at these <laughs> yeah. series premises and be like, what kind of cocaine was everyone doing this year? That <laughs> I feel like that would be more fun. 
I don't know. If everybody was on drugs, it'd be more like the 80s and less like, I don't know, everybody chasing as much VC funding as they can. Okay, Maybe. so a few, few, few thoughts. First of all, uh, the shows that Tara mentioned, Game Show, G-A-Y, Game Show, and mm-hmm. Mapleworth Murders, if they show up in other formats, might be worth checking out. Mm-hmm. And secondly, it really <laughs> tickles me to think of the idea of people discovering Quibi pilots like fossils in the African plain. Oh, yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like... In a really thousand years the- <laughs> when, you know, the the evolved form of our pets on Earth, <laughs> the civilization of humans, they will find this Quibi and wonder Grandpa, if this is what Grandpa, this word is all. Grandpa, look what I found on the internet. <laughs> Grandpa, look what it is. Look, it's Paula Pell. You love Paula Pell. Yes, I remember Paula Pell from when I was a boy. <laughs> what is this, well, Grandpa? Uh, Quibi? I don't know. <laughs> Well, anyway, uh, I, I follow Paula Pell on on uh, Twitter and have done for many years, and she's highly entertaining, and I highly recommend following her. <laughs> she's wonderful. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, those are probably the last thoughts we will ever share about the mobile video streaming service Quibi. R.I.P. R.I.P. Hey, I want to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Hymns. What is the issue that every guy dreads? Well. Many guys experience it and no one wants to talk about it. It's erection issues. It's ED. According to the Journal of Sexual Medicine, by age 40, almost 40% of men struggle with ED. But HIMSS connects you with licensed medical professionals online to see if prescription treatment is right for you. HIMSS can get you prescription medication that treats ED. Real science, real solutions, and they make it easy. Hims connects you with a licensed medical professional online who can prescribe FDA-approved prescription medication to treat ED. You get the same active ingredient as the expensive little pill, but without the expensive price tag. And that could cost hundreds if you had to go through a doctor or a pharmacy. Not so with Hims. Hims makes it simple and affordable. There's no embarrassing conversations, no expensive appointments. Just answer a few simple questions online about your medical history, and a provider will confidently review them. And if approved, your medication is shipped directly to your door in discreet packaging, and shipping is free. No more searching online for answers to questions about ED or sexual wellness. Just go to your Hims account and ask a medical professional you can trust. Try Hims today by starting out with a free online visit. Go to forhims.com slash filmcast for your free visit. That's forhims.com slash filmcast. F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Prescription products are subject to medical provider approval and require an online consultation with a medical provider who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. See website for full details and safety information. Remember, that's forhims.com slash filmcast. Let's move on to uh, what we've been watching this week. Tara, what have you been watching this week? Well, I watched a movie that I think was probably supposed to be a theatrical release at some point, but now is on HBO Max called The Witches. Uh, It was uh, adapted from the Ruled Doll book, which I read when I was a young child, and previously had been adapted as a movie with Angelica Houston as the whatever grand high witch now that role is played by Anne Hathaway it also stars Octavia Spencer and the voice of Chris Rock as the narrator (laughs) um it was uh, directed by Robert Zemeckis it was it was good it was more faithful to the book that I recall 
had some really cute uh, voice performances. There are mice effects. That's not really a spoiler if you know the book at all or watch the trailer. <laughs> it's it's uh, possibly too scary for little, little kids, but for, I would say, like, maybe eight and up it's a it's a fun watch and it will not be boring to adults i watched it with another adult there are no children in my house and we were entertained by it the whole way through the effects are well done as you would expect from a robert zemeckis movie and legit creepy so if you're hearing this before halloween it actually is fitting for uh the spoopy season (laughs) i would say um and anne hathaway is so extra she is doing all of the accents in this performance um the costumes are amazing uh it's uh it was it was fun it was a fun fun time not uh not too heavy very silly so that's the witches it's on hbo max it's robert zemeckis new newest movie uh how do you think it compares to the 1990 nicholas rogue version I haven't seen that in many years, but I remember that it it departed from the book in some mm-hmm. important ways. So this one, if you are a fan of the book, this this is a more faithful treatment. So if that's important to you, I think it's better. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Can I, I just did. say I, that? I, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't remember much from the film except that it was terrifying. It was um, terrifying, and also yeah. it was basically a kids' movie directed by Nicholas Rogue. So yes, <laughs> Which, why would you do it? Why would you why? do that? Why would you do it? Anyway, anyway, he scarred um, my mind, and I, yeah. I do love that movie. Actually, okay, okay. Scariest part of 1990 Witches, uh, 1990s, 90, the 1990 Witches, Devendra. Any, any? Because I, I have think one. It, was, it is the first time like Angelica Houston's witch face yes. really, really comes out. It, it, I, you don't expect it, and it's absolutely so visceral. Doesn't she have Man. resting witch face? I think. <laughs> I mean, she looks. <laughs> Wow, Jeff. She's a she's a Angelica Houston's a goddess. I agree. I agree yes. she's a goddess, yes. but I think yes. that there's a reason that she's cast as witches. Oh, she no, looks she's a little spooky sometimes in her No? Okay. I, I you know, I don't I no don't know what makes you her. say that, Jeff. I don't know what? what what makes you say that, Jeff. I don't Wasn't know. she in the Adams family? It's true. Yes, Jeff. It's everything true. about her makes us say that. Oh, yes. okay. Yes. <laughs> I feel like I offended everybody. Devendra, I didn't mean it's to. hard. To, it's hard to understand the sarcasm sometimes. But yes, I, I think that's fair. That's a fair point. Fair point. But okay, yeah. I'm Here's a little else. older than you guys. I think so. That I it was not as scarring to me that movie as it was to you. <laughs> I was a teenager when it came out, so it was it was a different experience for me watching it at 15 than it was for mm-hmm. for you guys. It, it sounds like I've there never was seen a character. It. There's a character in that film uh, named Erica who was cursed to spend the rest of her life trapped inside of a painting. Oh, man. You guys remember that? Oh, yeah. Terrifying. And she's, like, moving around the painting until she, like, yep. ages in the painting. You know, it, like, it is, like, the kid's introduction to the ending of The Shining. It's just, like, so chilling in a way. Man. Think of, imagine The Shining, but way scarier. Yeah. yeah. Like, imagine, yeah. like, a way scarier version <laughs> of the ending of The Shining being in a kid's film, basically, is what that is. Yeah. It reminds me, of, honestly, it reminds me of this article I read the other day. I think it was Patches that wrote it, Matt Patches, mm-hmm. um, about Who Framed Roger Rabbit, another Robert Zemeckis movie. Um, a perfect guys, movie, yeah. It was about uh, the uh, the dip death. You know, you know what that oh is. Oh my god! Yeah. So yeah. okay, sorry, sorry. It wasn't it wasn't Matt Patches. He tweeted about it, but it was written by Jenna Stober over at Polygon.com, and it was about Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and there was this thing called the dip, which is a combination of turpentine, acetone, and benzene, mm-hmm. uh, where they would just immerse like the cartoons into this dip, and the cartoons would just vanish and dissolve and become nothing. Yeah, who, who, and, you're talking about Who Framed Roger Rabbit, right? Yeah, Who yeah. Framed Roger yes. Rabbit. Yeah, yes. yeah. It's, it's like terrifying, isn't it? Isn't, isn't it a <laughs> concept? 
Yeah. Is Come it, on. The, the, yeah. The, the they would concept. unmake them. Yeah. They would like yes. literally unmake the, the animated this isn't character. Like, uh, this isn't like Wile E. Coyote running into a, into a wall thinking it's a, yeah. it's a tunnel. This yeah. is like Robert Wiley Coyote never existed. You know, like that's what that is. Um, so anyway, basically, I'm saying we have a lot of trauma that we're still working through from these childhood movies. A lot of, tra- lot of trauma. Okay, but uh, you're saying the witches probably slightly less traumatic. This new HBO Max version. I don't know. Now that you're saying all this, maybe it's yeah. more for older watched, kids after all. I, now that I I'm thinking first- about it. Yeah, yeah. I watched so, the first 15 minutes of this new one with my wife and it was very it is very light and breezy and much much different than the than the other one. So, yeah. Yeah, but in the first 15 minutes they haven't really gotten to the witch stuff yeah, yet. So yeah. that that might be you're you're making me revise my opinion. Maybe it's better for <laughs> older kids, but it yeah. some of the witch stuff is pretty creepy. And even in All some right. of the shots like uh, just of Anne Hathaway's like even when she's not fully witched out they just slightly enlarge her eyes, which are already pretty big, just Ugh. to give her like a an even more just uncanny look. I mean, some of it is very subtle, and some of it isn't. But yeah, it was a very entertaining movie. What is going on with Anne Hathaway's lips in this movie? Is she like Itchy the Killer in this movie? Like, what's doesn't she have these <laughs> wow. things? Like, doesn't she have these like weird lip things going on? Yeah, all the witches do, and that is explained. Uh-huh. I see. Okay. All right. Anyway. Uh, that's The Witches. On, it's on HBO Max. Tara, Ariana, what else have you been watching? Well, we also watched Maximum Overdrive, which um, Stephen King wrote and directed <laughs> in 1986 when he was, by his own admission, apparently, subsequently, really on a lot of cocaine. That's not me. That's him. And um, it's wild. I never realized that the Mother's Day episode of Futurama where all the robots <laughs> and like all the machines just rebel uh-huh. against humanity is based on something. And what it's based on is Maximum Overdrive. And uh, I'm not going to sit here and say that it was good, but it was entertaining. (laughs) It was like perfect for a a late Saturday night. It was very stupid and really, really violent and gory and gross. Uh, Fine performance by a young Emilio Estevez at the height of his powers, by which I mean he looks very hot. Um, Pat Hingle is in it. Giancarlo Esposito is in it for like a hot second. <laughs> also, like lots of other people that you will recognize from other prestige TV shows. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's very of its time as an action movie and doesn't totally make sense and ends clearly like ten minutes before it should have. <laughs> and obviously, everyone just like ran out of steam or money or interest in making it. But um, interesting. Um, Interesting document of the time, Maximum Overdrive. You can Maximum Overdrive, the plot of which, for those who don't remember, is a comet causing a radiation storm on Earth and causing machines to come back to life and turn against their makers. Yeah. Um, so how did you watch this uh, movie, Tara? We rented it on Apple. Apple. TV. All right. Mm-hmm. That's Maximum Overdrive. Check it out for some 80s fun. And finally, Tara, you wrote the works of John Claude Van Damme in the show notes. Tell us about this. <laughs> okay, well, right I'm a me. fan of action <laughs> movies, and there we realized recently, like in the past couple of years, that there was a big gap in my knowledge, and that gap was called John Claude Van Damme. So, oh no, okay. <laughs> informally, we've I'd seen Time Cop before, but there were like I just I just missed him. I don't know why, like. Anyway, so we watched the first one that we watched together was Hard Target a couple of years ago after we had watched Time Cop, as I said. (laughs) And then we recently discovered that, like, 
almost all of his most well-known movies were all on stars and we just started watching them like one every weekend for a while <laughs> and <laughs> they still are and we still are so the most recent one we watched this past weekend was 1997's double team starring jcvd and dennis rodman mm-hmm. so good mm-hmm. so good come on you know, I wouldn't say it's in the upper echelon of all. The I love that stupid movie. There, I remember a was this sky a sweet, sweetheart directing movie. this, right? Was this sweetheart yes. directing? I think so. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Man. Um. Yeah. It's not the. It's not the best. But it's it, it's interesting, like to <laughs> to put those two guys in basically like the prisoner and then take yeah. them out again. It's it's a really weird premise for a movie. Um. But yeah, the when we just like moused over it and like the 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 thumbnail picture of it on the stars app is so perfect. Like the costume that they have him in is if you have stars, please go look at it because I can't really describe it accurately. But yeah, Jean-Claude Van Damme has made 1000 movies. It seems like their Universal Soldier franchise alone. I think there are like 50 of them. They mm-hmm, just have mm-hmm. continued to make them. So uh, yeah, Jean-Claude Van Damme. His movies are not great, but they are also generally not boring. So they are uh, they are out there for you to find on your. There, there are also eras films. of his to to explore, right? Because yeah. I think like early Van Damme is when he was like young and hungry and like mm-hmm. just really really giving his all. Like I rewatched Bloodsport recently, which is yeah. a movie I grew up with. I really enjoyed it then, and yep. just rewatching it now, it's like he is delivering. Like it's not a great movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he is delivering for the things he really needs to be like his physicality and just like how much he is like bringing into that role. And yeah. then uh, then then he gets very lazy. And then you get like <laughs> mid 90s a street fighter, Jean-Claude Van Damme, where he does not want to be in that movie. But then you have Raul Julia in that movie and it really just like brings the whole thing together. So, hey, yeah. hey, it's a fun career. Some, someone who has the capacity should make a super cut of like the scene in every Jean-Claude Van Damme movie where they explain why he's in America, but he has that accent. Like sometimes he's from Louisiana. That's the excuse. But, but, and sometimes they're just like even more vague about it anyway. Yeah. Well, uh, agreed with what you said, except for the part about some of his movies, not being great, Tara. I think, uh, it just depends on what your definition is, but that's the works of Jean-Claude Van Damme and double team specifically, uh, that Tara has been watching this week. Okay. Devinder Hardwar, you've been watching something that I have really been looking uh-huh. forward to for months to try yeah. to watch. Uh, so tell me about Gangs of London and how you watched it. Uh, yeah, so I've been watching Gangs of London. I have good news and bad news about <laughs> Gangs of London. Yes, tell Gangs me, Gangs of please. London kicks ass. It is yes. a very, very good uh, you know, British gangster movie um, developed by Gareth Evans and Matt Flannery, Gareth Evans, you know, director of the Raid movies. So you go into this expecting his kick-ass action sequences. And, you know, I'm halfway through. He only directed two episodes. So I feel like those two, which are the uh, basically, I think the first two episodes or at least there's like uh, a double length pilot and then a second episode. But he he basically only did some. And his episodes are the ones with the really good fight sequences so far from what I can tell, but they're all pretty good. Like if you're itching for more of that raid action of just people brutally crunching bones and like smashing jaws on the edges of tables, um, the first (laughs) fight sequence is a guy who just like takes out like 12 dudes with a a throwing dart. And it's, Mm. it's beautiful. It is so beautiful. And the show itself is basically succession meets 
The Godfather meets Infernal Affairs, and all of this is just like, this is my shit. This is what yes. I'm here for. Yeah. I, I am so excited, Devendra. So, I so think that's the good news. And also, <laughs> I spent probably once every couple weeks, uh-huh. I would Google the phrase Stream Gangs of London to figure uh-huh. out how to watch this thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I couldn't find an easy answer. So, how the hell did you watch this? So, thing? as of like October, the beginning of this month, uh, you can watch Gangs of London on AMC plus which is another <laughs> another goddamn streaming service where you gotta you, if you have amc you cannot see gangs of london you gotta spend the extra money on like either the apple tv subscription channels thing or amazon's uh, channels thing and spend more money to see gangs of london and you know the rest of the amc library but i swear my eyes just crossed in rage as I learned, I had to subscribe to another, you know, streaming service to do this. And I fully didn't intend to do this because the first episode is just, uh, you can watch it for free on Apple and Amazon too, I believe. Um, but then I got like 15 minutes into the first episode and I was like, God damn it. Okay. Well, <laughs> I guess I'm subscribing to AMC plus for at least two months or however long it takes for the show to finish. So yeah, um, I'm doing it for the show. The show's very good. It does kind of taper off once uh, Gareth Evans leaves, and I hope it kind of picks back up. Um, I'm hoping like the choreography and the genius of all that is not just you know coming from him, but the show itself is really good, and I'm a fan of the actors. Stars uh, Cole Meany, who is great. I just love seeing him and everything. That man's face never ages. He is just always the <laughs> like rough British dude you you've remembered from Star Trek and everything and uh stars joe cole and a bunch of other great great actors so it's great all around i'm glad gareth evans is back doing like action heavy stuff and i'm looking forward to seeing what he does next but um maybe this is a show that'll pop up on netflix or amazon eventually because i don't know if anybody if you really need to rush out to go stream this that's the thing I don't know, man. I mean, yeah, you do, Dave. Like, I think you. <laughs> I'm telling you to do it, but everybody yeah. else, I, I cannot convince you to subscribe to AMC Plus of all things. It does come with uh, Sundance Now and Shutter, apparently, as well as IFC Films Unlimited. If you subscribe to AMC, that would Plus. be. Mm, I got to see how that works because I'm subscribed to Shutter separately. So I feel like I should yeah. just get this. Come on, yeah, bring all this yeah, stuff yeah. together. Come on, folks. I mean, Gangs of London, dude. I uh, Gareth Evans, huge fan. Watched mm-hmm. the Raid Redemption multiple times in theaters. That movie's two and a half hours long. Yeah, you know, I'm a hardcore Gareth Evans fan, so I've been so psyched about this. And I, I, I tried to find this on my uh, my YouTube TV <laughs> subscription, and I could not. Uh, so it's only through AMC Plus, I guess. Which is, yep. yeah. Uh, well, I am going to check it out. Is this uh, Tara as a TV aficionado? Is this something that hit your radar? Uh, I know that AMC Plus exists. Um, <laughs> that is the full extent of your knowledge. I didn't get screeners, so I have not. I have not screen- seen it, and I have not subscribed to AMC Plus. But this does. This sounds like extremely my shit too. The way you're describing yeah. it makes it sound yeah. like Warrior, which I also love. On, yep. On, oh, on nice. Cinematic. It's very much like that. Yeah. Okay. God damn it. <laughs> on that. On that. We on all that subscribe note, to AMC Plus. Yeah. <laughs> On that, you just made a bunch of AMC Plus subscribers tonight, Jendra. Uh-huh. On that note, Tara, you know, kind of curious, like, uh, uh, there's obviously, you, when you started covering TV, um, which was just a little bit ago, uh, yeah. the TV environment was a lot different. Now it's probably a lot harder to decide what to actually cover, right? Like, you, you probably get sent more screeners than you could actually cover, correct? So how do you Absolutely. decide, like, what to watch? Um, 
I usually pitch on things that I have that seem like I would have an affinity for them. I don't usually get outside of my lane. So, you know, I watch stuff that I know I'm going to write up or that I think we're going to possibly talk about on the podcast. But yeah, I, I there's tons of stuff I don't watch for sure, including stuff that I get screeners for. Do you, do you ever one day like a uh, dream of a day in the future when like you, you, you don't need to cover the TV and you can just just watch whatever you want, you know? <laughs> What a beautiful dream. Yeah, it it's is. A beautiful- it's certainly it, there's there. It is very freeing to watch a show and not have to think about turning it into content. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. One day, maybe maybe one day we'll all achieve that, guys. Maybe one day we'll all achieve that. Don't monetize but, your hobbies, kids. Yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> all right. Well, the show is Gangs of London. I can't wait to check it out on AMC. Someday. Plus. Someday. Yeah. Someday. Someday. On AMC Plus. And that is what Divinger Hardware has been watching. Oh, I got to jump in now and tell you about our sponsor, Mac Weldon. I'm so excited to talk about Mac Weldon. I love their clothes. I, in the post COVID world, when I don't leave my house, I basically don't wear anything other than Mac Weldon because these are men's essentials, a one stop shop for men's essentials socks, shirts, hoodies, underwear, polos, active shorts. Mack Weldon promises comfort and a consistent fit. And that is what I have found. I, I have four pairs of their shorts. I have uh, three of their polos. I love their, their uh, boxers. You're not just going to look great in Mack Weldon. You're going to feel great. They offer a wide range of customized fabrics that can keep up with you no matter what your day looks like. I just love how comfortable I feel in all of their clothes. And Mack Weldon has created a totally free loyalty program. Level one gets you free shipping for life. Once you reach level two by spending 200 bucks, Mack Weldon gives you 20% off every order for the next year. That's awesome. Plus, Mack Weldon wants you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair of underwear, you can keep them and still get a refund. That's amazing. No questions asked. So, for 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com slash filmcast and enter promo code filmcast. That is 20% off your first order at MacWeldon.com slash filmcast and the promo code filmcast. M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T and promo code filmcast. Let me also tell you about our sponsor, Lightstream. Do you want to erase your credit card bill? Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience, and that's exactly what they deliver. You can quickly roll balances from multiple credit cards into one single monthly loan payment. You get a low fixed interest rate, and you free up more money in your monthly budget. So you can say goodbye to your credit card bills and take even more control of your money. I am big, big believer in having no debt If you have debt right now, you got to figure out a way to get rid of it. Lightstream's credit card consolidation loans have rates from just 5.95% APR with auto pay, and there are absolutely no fees. That's huge. No fees at all. And just for listeners of the Slash Filmcast, apply now to get an additional interest rate discount to save even more. The only way to get this discount is by going to lightstream.com slash filmcast. That's lightstream.com slash filmcast for an additional discount. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Subject to credit approval. Rate includes a 0.50% 
auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash filmcast for more information. Let's move on to what I've been watching. Uh, I had a chance to get to check out uh, Love Fraud. Have you guys heard about this show, Love Fraud? <laughs> um <laughs> That the title of every reality TV Jeff, show. I, I like how I like how you're just laughing at the premise of me talking about not, a, yes, a documentary yeah. I've watched. It yes. is, it is, yeah, a reality TV show in the 1984 universe. Please go on. It's like, Dave. Yeah. It's like, I mean, apologies to Love Fraud, which get I haven't. The, even, I don't, get the laughs out, Jeff. Get the laughs it might out be, now. It might be a very good. It might be it's very, very good. good but get never the laughs heard out of it. Now. Yep. I never heard of it. But uh, it does. It does. It, it's a lot like Dave being like. I had the pleasure of watching Hit Yourself with a Ball-Peen Hammer this week. <laughs> you know, it's like... <laughs> Dave's just Listen, like, this sounds much better than Dave's other, you know, yeah. his other things that he loves, which are just terrible, terrible, yeah. um, miserable things. Yeah, people, people on the podcast, Tara, have a lot of respect for my taste. You know, yeah. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> um, so, okay, Love Fraud is a four-part documentary that's airing right now in Showtime. I think it's And over. it was direct... Uh, yeah, it's uh, you're right. It's over. Uh, it is uh, was directed by Heidi Ewing and Rachel Grady. These are two of my favorite documentary filmmakers. They directed films such as Jesus Camp, which was nominated for an Academy Award in 2006. Um, they directed Twelfth and Delaware, uh, which uh, I saw at the Sundance Film Festival ten years ago, and it's now currently on HBO. Uh, and they directed a few other films, but they recently made this movie Love Fraud. It's interesting. Uh, the the movie Love Fraud. Chronicles the search for Richard Scott Smith, who used the internet to prey upon unsuspecting women in search of love, conning them out of their money and dignity. This is um, a plot summary I'm reading from the internet. Now, I watched this, uh, and uh, 10 minutes in, I was thinking to myself, basically, it covers kind of how this dude, Richard Scott Smith, uh, conned these four women out of all their money. Like, basically, he, um, he kind of seduced enticed these women and then ma- like proposed marriage to them, married them. And then once you're married, I don't know if you're aware of this, but anything you do to their finances is basically legal. So uh, he withdrew all their money and used it to buy condos and cars and luxury vehicles and then just pieced the F out of there. <laughs> um, and it's uh, really, it's really kind of heartbreaking and, and scary and tragic to see and do this. And I'm watching this and 15 minutes into it, I'm thinking to myself, well, okay, I mean, this is interesting, but like, I don't know that, you know, him conning these four women is really enough to sustain a four episode documentary series. And then it's revealed that basically these four women are like the tip of the iceberg and that it's actually dozens and dozens and like over 40 women basically have been conned by this this guy. And the documentary covers the manhunt to track this guy down and bring him to justice. Um, and uh, I watched the whole thing because I thought it was, uh, it was pretty interesting, pretty good. Um, and I love the way uh, these documentarians shoot things. They uh, create images that are very evocative. It's um, it's a slow-moving documentary. It's not like, uh, there's not a lot of momentum to this documentary, in my opinion. It's more of a do- documentary where it tries to make you feel things, like uh, it immerses you in the atmosphere of these women's lives. Uh, but I found it to be enjoyable. Some people complained it's a little bit anticlimactic, but I still thought it was pretty good. Uh, so I enjoyed it. I'd recommend it. It's called Love Fraud. And uh, it, it's kind of a, a comment on like loneliness in the modern internet era. Uh, so anyway, 
that's my thoughts on Love Fraud, which is there, which uh, is on Showtime right now. So check it out if you have a chance. I also had a chance to watch Apocalypse Now, the final cut. Have any of you guys, which, uh, have any of you guys uh, heard about this? This uh, final cut of Apocalypse Now? Yes. Uh, I've this not is, seen uh, it, but yeah. Yeah, so I purchased the 4K Blu-ray like uh, a few months ago. And uh, I've been making Patreon uh, Patreon content for my personal Patreon page at patreon.com slash Dave Chen uh, with a bunch of different people from around the internet. And uh, one of those people is Patrick H. Willems, who just did a great series on his YouTube channel about Francis Ford Coppola. And I thought, wow, isn't this a great excuse for me to finally watch Apocalypse Now? Which, by the way, I have not watched in its entirety, I don't think ever. Oh, what? And so I thought, okay. yeah, okay. it's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. It's shameful. I'm ashamed of myself, Jeff. I'm ashamed <laughs> of myself. Um, but how, I how many this Saw is... movies does Apocalypse Now last, Dave? <laughs> Tell us. It's, 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 it's a good question. three Saw movies worth of a movie there. Yeah. It's a good question. It's a good question. Yeah. But I finally watched Apocalypse Now. And um, first of all, the final cut is really interesting. I think it's... Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting, you know, all these directors have done different cuts of their movies. Like, there's directors who really love messing with their movies, right? George Lucas. You don't Lucas, have a point of reference on this, do you? I, well, I've, I've now watched the other versions as well. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, but the, I started with the final cut. Um, but yeah, George Lucas, um, uh, Ridley Scott, these are directors who, like, decided to keep, like, messing with their films, you know? And it's kind of interesting. Um, final cut is interesting. So Apocalypse Now came out. It was around two hours, 20 minutes long. A few years ago, Francis Ford Coppola releases uh, Apocalypse Now Redux, where he's just like, let's just add in everything. <laughs> I felt he felt he felt he cut down Apocalypse Now too much. He added in everything into the movie. The movie was over three hours long. Uh, and then he's like, OK, maybe like that was a little bit too much. Maybe we didn't need to add in everything. So the final cut trims a little bit down and brings it to about three hours pretty much exactly. Um, and, uh, I, I just want to say, I think this movie looks incredible in this 4k, uh, in this 4k production. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. if you haven't watched it, uh, I, I don't know that I would recommend the final cut over, uh, I, honestly, I would, I would argue that my favorite two cuts are probably the, uh, final cut and, or the theatrical cut. I think those are probably like the best versions. I think Redux is kind of. You know, it's kind of like Lord of the Rings extended editions. Um, it doesn't have the pacing and the uh, the momentum of the other one, the versions. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought Final Cut is incredible. And I was there's a cool feature on the the Blu-ray where they show you all the different versions of Apocalypse Now throughout its home video releases, like VHS, Laserdisc, DVD. Blu-ray, like 4K Blu-ray, and you see the Ride of the Valkyrie scene, and in a montage, you see like all these different versions, yeah. and it's just incredible to to kind of witness like this movie be brought through time through these releases, mm. and and how like the movie looks incredible in this. It's 4K. also you know it's size and scale done at a time before CG, right? Yes. It's it's if you want size and scale, you do it. You know, you and they did. They did it. Uh, and that's, I think, just inherently kind of impressive to see films like that. Yeah. I, I kind of got a little obsessed with the movie, as evidenced by the fact that I kind of watched the other versions. I watched special features. I watched uh, Hearts of Darkness, the documentary about Apocalypse Now. Uh, and I found it all to be like very compelling and fascinating. But um, well, can I ask yeah, you a question, Dave? Yep. What was it like watching this? I'm, I'm sure that 
pop culture had seeped into you so much. I mean, you, I'm sure you knew about, uh, Marlon Brando and I'm sure you knew about, you know, punching the mirror and I'm sure there were so many things that just are part of pop culture that you knew going in. What was it like actually seeing the movie? I mean, did you know the idea of, did you know about hearts of darkness, the novel? Did you know about the idea of what the movie even was? Yeah, yeah, I think I knew about all those things. Yeah. Um, and th- which is kind of one of the reasons why like it took me so long cuz it's like, oh, well, I already kind of get the idea right. of that. I mean, I'm I'm being a little facetious there because obviously you don't really know a movie until you've experienced it, you've watched it uh, probably multiple times. Um, but it, it, it being my first time, I mean, I think also like by the time I, it really was on my radar was when like Redux came out and I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't know if I want to like adjudicate between these two versions and then the final cut came out, I'm like, okay, well, this is the one he says is the good one. So like, uh, I finally feel like I have a decision on this. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating to see the scale of it because on a shot by shot level, it is breathtaking. This movie is right. Like mm-hmm. just, just you, you look at a shot and it's like, wow, I can't imagine the work it took just to do this one shot. You know, yeah, there's, it's a descent no... into madness, even by the filmmakers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that um, I, on the one hand, Jeff, I find the movie's scope and execution to be absolutely breathtaking. I think it's also incredible that, like, imagine, you know, Francis Ford Coppola. Like, this is a guy who made Godfather 1 and 2, Apocalypse Now, and The Conversation, like, all in a row. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's, it's just the genius of it is just yeah, it's incredible just to, 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 to consider. It's staggering to think about. Um and, but I also find the movie like deeply problematic. Like I, I'm, I'm taken aback and awed by the movie, and I also find it like uh, deeply problematic. You know, I mean, its depiction of uh, Vietnamese people and like uh, and the Vietnam War. You know, um, which is like the United States were interlopers in this war that took over two million Vietnamese lives. Um, around fifty thousand U.S. lives were lost, which is still quite a bit, and obviously we're still feeling the impacts of that today. But it it just is like it it shows kind of what the U.S. take what what the popular imagination in the United States was of this war, right? It, it has shaped how we perceive this war with all of its flaws. Um, you know, which is that well, I think it's, hey, it's it, of yeah. it's of a pantheon of movies that have sh- you know shaped how, but you know, it's so yeah. much closer to. Mm-hmm. You know, it comes out, what, 1979, that movie came out? And that's 10 years later. It's like, it's, that's crazy. You know, that's, that's so recent. It it must've been fresh in in everyone's mind. Everyone had personal experience with it after this movie. It's, it's, I think it's difficult for us to look at it here in 2020 and understand. I'm I'm not defending the movie in any way but it's just a strange it's a historical document in a lot yeah, of ways no i agree that's what i'm saying is it's a historical document of a time with all the problems that that entails you know yeah, which is right. that which is i mean um the like you see hundreds of vietnamese people get mowed down cruelly in the movie uh and that's kind of part of the point is like the disregard for human life i don't think there's a single named vietnamese character in the entire film um which is uh you know uh pretty upsetting but i but that, that's what's also interesting is he has not, uh, in his talking about the movie, Francis Ford Coppola, he said like some things that are pretty objectionable. Like he famously said, this movie is not a film about the Vietnam War. 
it is the Vietnam War, or it was the Vietnam War. You know, like he basically so it, like claimed it was like the definitive document of the war, which obviously, for reasons I've already said, I have problems with. Um, but something that I think that's great about one thing he said is uh, he has acknowledged like he doesn't believe it's an anti-war movie. And the reason why it's not an anti-war movie is because like it conveys the thrill of war. It conveys like the, mm-hmm. you know, you wouldn't have like the ride of the Valkyrie scene and like bombing all these people, you know, if it was an anti-war movie. And so I think like on some level he does grapple with the fact in a way that directors don't, I think in this modern day and age, I think he does grapple with like the effects that these images have on people. So mm. anyway, really fascinating time talking about the, thinking about this movie, exploring this movie, highly recommend apocalypse. Now the final cut available right now in 4k UHD. Um, and I'm looking forward to talking with Patrick Williams about it in the stuff we're going to make together too. So check it out. Um, it's apocalypse. Now the final cut. Uh, and I'd recommend it but Jeff. It sounds like you have strong opinions on it. Are you you're a fan of this movie? Yes. It's a movie that deeply affected me in college when I first saw it. Um, and it's one that, you know, I, I think it's one of those movies that you can't shake, you know, yeah. if it, Certainly when it hit me at a certain age, I was at a, at a certain age of the kind of the age that would have gone to Vietnam, you know, mm. if, if, if it had been happening then. Um, so I don't know if it, it, it certainly affected me. I, I think it's a powerful and disturbing, intentionally disturbing. I didn't it's not a movie that I love. It is a movie that affected me. You know, it's one of those the, those experiences that, you know, I don't love revisiting Apocalypse Now. It doesn't make me feel good but I think it's a powerful and striking, you know, it's, it, it's one of the great films of all time. And for a reason, I think, you know, it's, yeah. it's and just like the way he was able like, basically uh, the guy, uh, Martin Sheen's character, um, whose name escapes me at this moment, for some reason, uh, the, uh, his, his character, um, Captain Willard visits yeah. these different locations throughout. And like, uh, he he's he's traveling to try to meet Colonel Kurtz, right? And like every one of these places he travels to is like its own universe, right? It's like its own world. These stops yeah. he makes along the way. It's just yeah. It almost so I mean it's almost a so science vivid. fiction film, like visiting right. different planets. It really mm-hmm. yeah, it really is structured in a similar way to something like that for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, Apocalypse Now uh, continues to be a great film, uh, and viewing it through a modern lens uh, has been a fascinating process. All right, that's what I've been watching this week. Jeff Canada, what have you been watching? Well, despite my repeated begging, Dave Chen refuses to name check hashtag slash tag at the beginning of every segment. Uh, I find a hashtag slash tag. I, I, I try to work it in there somewhere yeah, during the segment. I think it should be part of the intro to what we've been watching. It is that essential to my life. I am uh, so grateful for folks that use hashtag slash tag uh, to recommend movies television shows, watching experiences of all kinds, Quibi shows, you know, anything. Uh, your Quibbies, your true TVs, yeah. your pop TVs, you know. So, you know, I've been uh, I've been uh, lobbying Dave Chen to uh, work that into a, the, the normal introduction of the show to no avail. But I'm here to thank those of you who uh, use hashtag slash tag because I, I often sit down and go, what am I going to watch? I'm just going to browse the hashtag See what folks are recommending. I did so this week, and uh, a a Twitter user by the name of Jojo McSpicy, uh, if that is your real name, recommended a documentary on uh, Amazon Prime called Jasper Mall. Have any of you guys heard of this? No. Mm-hmm. Nope. 
This is a documentary about Jasper Mall, uh, which is a mall in Alabama uh, that I think is probably, I think the the filmmaker's uh, position is that it is uh, typical for a lot of the malls in America right now where it is kind of dying. (laughs) It is a it is a vestige of an older time, and it is it is withering on the vine. And this is not even COVID. I mean, I'm sure Jasper Mole with COVID is even a, a sadder reality. But um, it is a it is a documentary now. Uh, Mr. McSpicy or Ms. McSpicy, I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> the Honorable McSpicy uh, suggested Esquire. this, yeah. yes, Doctor. as a. Uh, as a feel good movie, a movie that was sweet and, and it is sweet. There is a sweetness to it, but I found it to be pretty dispiriting. I think, I think the movie is, I mean, it, it is chronicling a dying thing, a dying piece of American culture. Not that I have any particular fondness for malls per se, but the movie spends a lot of time looking at stores closing down, people not knowing how they're, what they're going to do next uh, it, it is, it is, you know, late stage capitalism atrophying in certain interesting ways. And I find it m- most fascinating. I mean, this movie was, you know, went to slam dance, I think, and, and was sold, uh, and it is on Amazon prime. I don't know if, if Amazon is the only, it, it was the purchaser. I, I didn't look that up, but I did find it funny that I was watching it on an Amazon service and almost assuredly all the problems that are happening to Jasper Mall can be laid at the feet of amazon.com <laughs> um which is there's a certain irony in that but uh I, you know it follows the the custodian the janitor uh of jasper mall quite a bit and, and it follows a number of store owners of different kinds and there are long tracking shots of just empty storefronts and huge swaths of real estate and and uh, space just space in this mall that people talk wistfully about in the the heyday of the mall in the late eighties and early nineties. And it, talk about how it was just a, you know, shoulder to shoulder with teens and adults alike, you know, people going to the mall and now it's this tumbleweed wasteland of, uh, you know, one or two kind of disaffected uh, shoppers, uh, you know, sitting on the, the free, uh, <laughs> you know, the free rest area between stores just to be inside, you know, it's, it is that kind of thing. It is this journey through a a mall that is dying. Um, so I didn't, you know, the movie also doesn't really take a position on it. It just shows it to you. And I wish that the documentary had perhaps scratched the surface a bit and looked at the, the fundamental causes of this issue and what's going on in America to you know, the changes that are happening, what what the mall meant and why it it is a thing that is uh, in a lot of places dying out. But it does not do that. It simply looks at these people, and the people are very sweet people. They've they're very, uh, for the most part, very likable, and uh, you you your heart you know aches for them a bit because they are in this transition period uh, that is difficult for them. So um, I don't think it's a home run, and I certainly I watched you know I watched the whole thing and um, came away from it feeling a little bummed. But uh, but it, it it's an interesting film. It's an interesting idea to look at a mall as this creature that is dying off, that is becoming extinct slowly. 
Uh, that's Jasper Mall. It's available right now on Prime Video. Jeff, I like how every week on this podcast, we spend quite a bit of time recommend, like talking about things that we like to watch, but that some random listener on Twitter using hashtag slash tag, that's <laughs> the thing that's going to get you to turn your TV to something. Yes, no, because I respect those people. <laughs> Fair enough, Jeff. Fair enough. Um, what else have you been watching, Jeff? Uh, I just want, I mean, I mentioned, I watched a couple other things. I think some of them we'll be talking about in future episodes as a main review, but I will tell you, uh, I thought I would bring this up just quickly. Uh, I think I mentioned on the podcast, maybe not, that uh, recently, just a few months ago, uh, got a Peloton, became a Peloton user, uh, got it for my wife for our anniversary, uh, mostly because uh, the air was on fire around where I live uh, mm -hmm. quite frequently. And it is again, actually, as of today is on fire again. Um, and, so, you know, I love to be I love to run. I'm a, a, a runner, distance runner and have been for many years. And um, I've always thought just a pair of sneakers was enough for me to get some exercise. And I still believe that. But it's hard when the air is on fire and going out of doors requires wearing a mask. It's all complicated, this world of ours in, in 2020. So anyway, uh, we invested in a Peloton, uh, quite expensive, but it, and I was skeptical, to be honest. My wife was really excited about it. And I was like, ah, there's no version of me on a stationary bike that's going to be satisfying. But I ate my words. I'm enjoying the Peloton. And I only bring that up because today I did a ride on the Peloton. The Peloton is a stationary bike that has a big widescreen, uh, flat screen display on it. And you do classes or you can do, you know, virtual rides through mountainsides. It's just kind of goofy. But um, the, the, the main draw is these, these classes, this structure uh, where you are, you know, doing various uh, cycling uh, exercises, you, you know, uh, climbs and sprints and stuff uh, with an instructor, a one -on, sort of one-on-one -on -one type experience with an instructor. Anyway, today I did one that was called the Film Lovers or Film Fanatic or something like that uh, ride. And it is evidently uh, a recurring thing. This is the first time I'd seen it and the first time I've done it, but evidently it is fairly recurring. I think they do it once a month or something. And this one being Spooktober uh, was all uh, horror movies. So the idea behind this is that a lot of these rides, a lot of these classes on the Peloton are structured around genres of music. So you can pick, you know, 90s music or 2000s music or pop music or hip hop or country or whatever floats your boat. You can find classes that have that playset, and they use very popular music. It's, you know, they licensed, you know, the top music that top artists you would want to hear. Well, these film lover ones use film scores and iconic music from movies. And uh, I thought, what a cool idea. And even better than that, the horror one, I don't know if all of them are like <laughs> this, but the horror one found the, instruct the instructor kind of crafting a bit of a narrative. It, it's a little cheesy, I'll admit, but it was actually kind of motivating that the idea was these different songs would come on from great horror movies and uh, she would be narrating, oh, no, oh, who's that? Oh, my gosh. Oh, we got to go. They're after us. And you'd have to, you know, you'd speed up and you it was a fun little experience, you know, based using the music of the movies and you kind of ride in the rhythm with some of the music. And then when the big scary monster would come out, you know, in the theme or whatever. Uh, you would go faster and it was, and they used fun camera angles. And anyway, I just thought that was kind of a neat cause I'd never heard of anything like that. And I thought I'd bring it up on the show. Uh, if you have a Peloton, 
Uh, I, uh, I'm on hashtag geeks and sneaks. My username is Jeff Canada. You can friend me there. Uh, and, uh, check out the film lovers, uh, or I think it's called film lovers, film lovers, uh, ride, because I, I just thought it was clever, motivational and, uh, fun. It was a kind of a yeah. neat departure from the normal. Well, they turned it into a role-playing game, Jeff. So of course you love it. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. It was neat. Yeah. It was, it was neat. And you know, at one <laughs> point she turns into the bad guy and she's like, I'm after you. You got to go faster than me. And like, that's cool. It was cool. I don't know. Maybe I just wasted everyone's time talking about that, but I thought it was oh, cool. It sounds cool. I, I would love it for when I eventually ever get something like a Peloton. It would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I recommend right. it. I mean, I know it's expensive, but I recommend yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that is what we have been watching this week. Let me just jump in here one last time and tell you about our sponsor, Werner Herzog's newest film, Nomad. Werner Herzog turns the camera on himself and his decades-long friendship with the late author Bruce Chatwin, a kindred spirit whose quest for ecstatic truth carried him to all corners of the globe. This is a deeply personal portrait of Chatwin, illustrated with archival discoveries, film clips, and a mound of brontosaurus skin. Wow. It encompasses their shared interest in Aboriginal cultures, ancient rituals, and the mysteries stitching together life on Earth. The reviews for this film are through the roof. It was a New York Times critic's pick. Got four stars from RogerEbert.com. RogerEbert.com also said one of the year's best films. It has everything that one looks for in a Herzog film. Scope, ambition, moments of extraordinary visual beauty. Wow. It's now available to rent or buy on demand. Available on Blu-ray and DVD November 17th. For more info or to pre-order, visit musicboxfilms.com. Again, the name of the movie is Nomad by Werner Herzog. You can find out more at musicboxfilms.com. Let's move on uh, to our weekly plugs. <laughs> well, I can't get used to that small, that shorter music. Oh, nope, whoops. Nope. And, and. Oh, the it's going it's going out of control, guys. Can you guys hear this? Yeah. <laughs> As guys, Dane said to you, it's the weekly plugs are out of control. Guys, the, oh guys. the weekly plugs music has become self-aware, guys. <laughs> pedal faster, Jeff. Pedal. You oh, will man. not cut me down. All you right, will not right. reduce my length. I had to I had to delete the music from the the soundboard entirely. Pedal okay. faster, Jeff. I think that, that stopped it. I think that stopped it. Okay. <laughs> Weekly Plugs, the weekly segment of the show, uh, actually inspired by the Extra Hot Great podcast, uh, which Tara Ariano hosts, uh, where we talk about something that we've been in or cre uh, creating the last week mm -hmm. that we'd recommend or that someone else created that we'd recommend. Tara, because you inspired this segment, why don't we start with you? Um, well, we already plugged the, the book. Um, and I hope A very special link... 90210 book, yep. That's the one. I hope you will link it in the show notes. But I'm going to also... Instead, and since you plug the Extra Hot Great podcast, I don't have to do that. So instead, I'm going to plug something that I wrote for Primetimer.com. Um, it is called Why the Connors Take on the Pandemic is Worth Celebrating. And I contrasted the season three premiere of The Connors, the ABC sitcom, which is the what Roseanne turned into after Roseanne was removed from Roseanne, um, and why this is... It basically the article is about why this is more interesting to me than all of the sort of pandemic shows that have sprung up like Love in the Time of Corona on Freeform, which is the worst one, and Connecting on NBC, which was less bad, and um, Social Distance on Netflix, which was like the least bad. But all of them are sort of about people that are very privileged and the Connors isn't and never has been. And 
That's why I think it's a more bracing pandemic story and more important to tell on TV. And so that's what the article is about. And that's what I'm going to plug. All right, man, the Connors, what a, what a, strange unruly <laughs> beast that is you know <laughs> did they yeah. just kill roseanne in the show is that yeah. what happened yes oh. one day the, up she's dead now the, <laughs> yeah tracking the like the genesis of the connor's uh coronavirus special episode is just a such a wild <laughs> you know like it's it is so you go from the roseanne show which was such a lightning rod for sort of mm-hmm you know, political and personality and what America kind of was at that time. And then years go by and then it brings it back and it does it again. And she's thrown off the show because of all that exact stuff. And then it's this thing that America is now too with coronavirus that is influencing the plot of the show. It's such a, such a fascinating, you know, uh, etymological, I can't say the word anyway. (laughs) You know, you know what I'm saying. Like a, uh, a look into the etymology of the thing, etymological. I guess would I be. remember um, Jerry Seinfeld gave an interview to the New York Times uh, in 2018 that I still think about. And you know, put aside Seinfeld's views on cancel culture and all that stuff. Um, but something he said he uh, about this show. He said, "Quote." Um, uh, he, he's talking about the speed of people being canceled. And he said, he said, uh, so much work gone so fast. We're upset at the speed of it because it's new. I would say about Roseanne, I never saw anything that bad happen from a finger tap on a screen. A whole career yeah. gone. That's an aspect of this unease we feel that you just wake up. Oh, by the way, the Lincoln Memorial is gone. What? Yeah, they took it down. They found out Lincoln was fooling around and they took it down. Oh my God. I guess I have to adjust to that. I really like the Lincoln Memorial, end quote. Again, you know, not not saying he's right yeah. or anything about yeah. like that, but it's just I just think about that sometimes. The idea that like finger taps on a screen and then the career is gone. You know, it just uh it's fascinating. And then the show is still on the air. Um, but also with regards to uh like quarantine-based content, I gotta say. I personally have absolutely no interest in any of it. Um now, now I'm not saying therefore. I'm not going to check out this awesome article by Tara uh, or yeah, even watch yeah. this episode, but just like in general, the idea of like seeing stuff that was made over zoom and such, like I just, um, I don't host, need host reminders. I'm sorry. What was that? Jeff host is good. Host the shutter uh, movie. Yeah. yeah. But good. I just, I just don't need reminders of the time we're in, yeah, in my yeah. pop culture. It's, it's probably too early to even confront this stuff. I will say the, uh, the mythic quest quarantine special is the best thing I've seen. I keep hearing that, that it's really good. So yeah. I'll check it out. It is yes. incredible. Uh, yeah. I forgot to mention another thing. I, well, I didn't mention it because I didn't finish it, but I watched a, a, a significant amount of the South park, uh, coronavirus special did any of you guys watch that or i watched i watched it i I thought it was okay but yeah i I thought i mean they did a kind of a clever thing where they kept talking one of the characters is running a special for coronavirus and it's it's constantly saying no one's interested in your coronavirus coronavirus special special, yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. which i think is you know it's classic them like doing a thing and mocking it at the same time um but anyway i thought that was interesting I generally agree. I'm not interested in these shows either. I've been watching them more out of like morbid curiosity, like to see the the differences between them. But the Connors mm. is the only, as I write, is the only returning show that I was interested to see how they tackled it. And I was, you know, I was satisfied by what they did. So that's what the article's about. Cool. All right. I'll do a quick weekly plug this week. Uh, a couple weeks ago on the podcast, we had Stephen Tobolowsky uh, on the show, and he talked about his love for Michael Clayton, the Tony Gilroy film starring George Clooney. 
for my Patreon page, at patreon.com slash Dave Chen, we did a feature-length commentary of Michael Clayton. Watched the film together, recorded the commentary. I think there's some great insights in there. Uh, if you're interested in that, check out patreon.com slash Dave Chen. Any patron has access to that audio, so check it out. All right. Uh, Devinder Hardware, any weekly plugs from you? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to shout out uh, the latest episode of the Engadget podcast, which I co-host. Uh, we talked about the iPhone 12 review and kind of where things stand there. Sounds like, you know, a pretty good phone, but I would not buy this thing for 5G. N- nobody. 5G. For the next year, it's not a thing. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> I also wrote up Shure's new USB microphone, which I think if you're listening to this show and you're into podcasting and you want to get equipment, um, Shure's MB7 uh, is very interesting. I wrote it up today. Um, it's a $249 microphone. It has USB. It has XLR. It looks like a miniature SM7B, which is, you know, the super microphone that everybody wants. It's the one Joe Rogan has. Um, the so one it's kind of like on to you now. Damn it. Damn it, Jeff. I'm okay. pretty, I'm pretty yeah. angry about this, Devendra, because I recently, <laughs> I, pr- I recently bought a Shure SM7B. I've, rec- I've been recording some YouTube videos of it and oh, stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, Not gonna but, for this I, show, but I also it? had, huh. to, I had <laughs> to purchase, I had to purchase a huge preamp to power this thing. Yeah. And then yeah. literally, like a month after I buy this thing, yeah. um, this Shure USB powered mic comes out. Yes. So yeah, like, the SM7B solved all my problems. SM7B well, that's is never a great happened. mic. Everybody loves it. But yeah, what, what is the problem with the SM7B, right? It is $400. It requires an audio interface, which is like at least another $100 plus. And it needs a preamp unless you have like a kick-ass interface um, or like an amp already running to it. Yeah. So that's like another $150. So that's a that's a pretty penny. I did, I did when I was upgrading my equipment because I just moved over from a USB mic to, I didn't do that. I went, uh, I got a nice interface and they wrote Procaster, which is still a very good mic and like half the price of the SM7B. But anyway, this thing, it's, it's a good deal. I would say if you're looking for a replacement mic for your Blue Yeti, for your beginner podcaster mic, this thing sounds good. I put up some samples at Engadget. Um, the fact that it's USB and XLR means you can record in both inputs at the same time, which is great for backing up. But also, it's a mic you can grow with. It's a mic you can, like, you know, it's small and pretty portable, too, so you can travel with it um, when we do that sort of thing. So I think it's really cool and flexible. Um, if this existed when I was buying the Procaster, I probably would have just, like, upgraded to this and see how everything sounded. Uh, so, yeah, check out my article about the Shure SM7B at Engadget.com. I think you, Devinjar, you gotta you gotta learn the art of the tease. You just gave them the whole article for free. There, they they gotta check yeah, it out. Yeah. You just why, gave the whole review. Why buy the cow samples. if you can get the milk for free? Yeah, there are why, samples. Why, why, yeah, why take the money out of the horse if the horse is gonna lead it to water. You know what I'm saying? Listen to all my samples. Come on, come on. <laughs> all right, Jeff Kanata, what uh, what's a weekly plug from you? I want to tell you about the Dungeon Run. Uh, it is the long-form Dungeons & Dragons podcast that I do. You don't have to know anything about Dungeons & Dragons. In fact, it is basically a feature-length movie that we make every week. It is a huge amount of work. I'm extremely proud of it. And I've done something crazy the last three weeks. We split the party. We had a character that was confronting the big, bad, evil wizard. Oh, man. And she went to the other side. She got she she left the party and joined the evil side. And so we've split the show in half. And oh half of the show is the four remaining party members. And half of the show is our one wizard who's off in the bad guy's evil lair. 
learning about what's going on with the bad guys. It is really wild. I it, can't believe I did that. And it, it is a huge it, amount it. of work, but it, it's, it's, it's been so much fun and wild and it's going really, really well. And people are digging it. Check out the dungeon run. Episode 69 is the one. Yeah, dude, that we just did. And um, it, it is uh, more of uh, the, the split show. You can hop in on any episode because we do uh, recaps at the beginning. Uh, they're on YouTube. You can find them by searching for the dungeon run. There'll be a link in the show notes as well. You can also listen to them as an audio podcast. It works really, really well that way. Uh, feels like listening to an audiobook. And like I said, you don't have to know anything about Dungeons and Dragons. This is like, you know, it's like listening to Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings or something. And it, it's, these players are fantastic. Their role-playing is fantastic. There's voices, there's sound effects, and there's music. I'm so glad I remembered to say this. Our, we have two musicians that live score the show in real time. They have no idea what's coming. They're scoring the show live every single week. And in their spare time, because they love the show so much, they decided to create themes for each of the characters. And we debuted the first one of those in the end credits last week uh, for one of our, our characters, the orc barbarian. The themes are orchestral and amazing. It feels like Howard Shore. Uh, you know, it feels like the theme that comes on when a character enters the, the room. It is incredible. And we are so privileged to have their musical talents on the show. Uh, you should check out just that in the, the end credits of episode 69. Yeah, dude. Is... Uh, is is that is the first of those in the next four weeks after we'll have the remaining uh character themes all right well that is the dungeon run those are our weekly plugs this week uh i also want to thank the people who donated to the podcast uh not very many donors this week because most people have canceled their automatic uh paypal donations to switch on over to patreon at patreon.com slash film podcast and i think that's totally fine but we did get one donation gunner arnberg donated to us at paypal.me slash filmcast of course you can always donate to us if you want to support what we do on the podcast but you can also support us for zero dollars by heading on over to apple Podcasts, leaving a star rating or a review for us we really appreciate it uh, and of course thanks to all of our patrons for helping us make this thing let's get to our review of borat 2 14 years ago i released a movie film which brought great shame to kazakhstan but now I was instructed to return to Yankee Land to carry out secret missions. I go to America! What do you say? No, it's not me. People make recognize my face. I would need disguises. This man is a sex criminal? No, no sex criminal. I will take this to be a fat <laughs> like American man. Yeah? This is a good one. <laughs> Where is his crumb? What is problem, officer? That's somebody that's strapped to the top of your car. He's in that passenger seat, boss. Only men and bears are allowed inside car. I'm here to give my daughter as a gift to someone close to the throne. I need dress with real sexy peels. Uh, this is a bag that just goes oh, over the dress. They're nice. I really like this. That was from the trailer for Borat 2, a.k.a. Borat's subsequent movie film, a.k.a. Borat's subsequent movie film, Delivery of Prodigious Bride to American Regime for Make Benefit Once Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan. This is a 2020 uh, sequel to the original Borat film. This one's directed by Jason uh, Wolliner, uh, who 
cut his teeth in directing some uh, some episodes of like Human Giant. He's also made episodes of Last Man on Earth, uh, Parks and Recreation, as well as Nathan for You. I'm going to read the plot summary of Borat 2 on IMDb. Um, sorry, give me a second. I think you did. It's the title. Uh, I mean, I think that's fair enough. I think that's fair enough. Uh, follow, the follow-up film to the 2006 comedy centering on the real-life adventures of a fictional Kazakh television journalist named Borat. Well, that was a complete waste of everyone's time, so I'm sorry about that. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, it's now 2020, uh, 14 years after Borat 1 debuted in 2006. Tara Ariana, you want to start us off? Tell us, uh, were you a fan of the original Borat in 2006 or even before that when he was just a character on the, uh, the Ali G show? I did not watch the Ali G show. I did see the movie I probably only once. I mean, I, th- I thought it was funny. It's not one that I returned to, you know, often. Um, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, <laughs> and I that is when, the extent of your thoughts on the original. Basically, I mean, <laughs> you know, it was funny, it was shocking, and then you know, the more you think about it, the more it kind of falls apart. Like it's the shock is the point. It, I don't think you know it's it's not a it's not a comedy that you can really return to <laughs> and like luxuriate in. You know, like once <laughs> once you've had the shock moment, the moment passes and that's it. You know, I mean, there's 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 certainly great set pieces in it and there's funny stuff and it's you know there's he's obviously very talented and good and i saw bruno as well um but yeah that's that's about that's about the extent of of my engagement with borat product probably uh, well here's what i'll say about the original borat is i think it's underrated from a writing perspective just because everyone thinks oh it's just borat interviewing people putting them in uncomfortable situations and certainly most of the film is that but there is this narrative through line as well and uh, they had this outline of what they wanted to accomplish and then they went out into the real world and made it happen. And I think that's one of the reasons why the film was nominated for an Academy Award for screenwriting uh, or Best Adapted Screenplay, I believe, was the was the uh, nomination. So wanted to give a shout out to the 2006 Borat. But Tara, uh, what did you think of Borat 2? Uh, you know, I, it sounds like you didn't have that many expectations for this one. So uh, were you pleasantly surprised or was it similarly something that didn't really kind of, you don't think it's going to stay with you after you watch it? Uh, <laughs> I'm making it seem like I didn't like the first Borat. I did. It made me laugh a lot. <laughs> and I do think that this this one, it had a lot of very funny moments too. I do think that situating this character in terms of the premise for this movie and in terms of like having him seeking to curry favor with Trump and the administration <laughs> on behalf of the government is a very smart idea. <laughs> the setup for it when they show, you know, shots of Trump with Kim Jong-un or Duterte or, you know, in Saudi Arabia with the orb, like all of that, you know, we want, we want our, our premier to be a strong man too. That's very smart. And this, just the whole enterprise of it kind of feels like a trojan horse of comedy to kind of reach the guys who are still unironically doing borat impressions without really understanding what the targets of that movie satire were like Mm -hmm. not sure they'll necessarily get this one either but i appreciate that the filmmakers tried and that they made this one much more pointed yeah i think that's something that definitely is true the new one is the first one seemed kind of like um 
for lack of a better term, more of like an equal opportunity offender. It's just like, sure, sure. America is so silly. Like, let's make fun of everyone. Whereas this one, Borat 2, feels like it's much more specific about the target. It's Borat it's on a, a mission. Product, yeah. It's a product of a simpler time. The, bo- the original <laughs> the Borat. Yes. The original. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. And I think that's also clear in the fact that like the original kind of uh, climax of the first one, as it were, was uh, was like... He, he's trying to uh, marry Pamela, quote unquote, marry Pamela Anderson, who kind of represented this idea of America. Like, that's why she was chosen as that character. Um, and according to the creators of the movie, she was in on it, um, for those who are curious about that. But uh, th- with regards to this one, um, the, the target is Mike Pence, you know, and the Trump administration. So anyway, I, I think that's, that is interesting to reflect on that, that Borat has... has uh, uh, his techniques have changed a little bit with the times. But Devinder Hardor, what did you think but of I Borat? would say, oh. sorry, just real quick. I yeah, would say it's yeah. because similarly a symbol of America, right? Trump is the symbol of America now. Yep. <laughs> Pamela Anderson and Trump, basically the same. <laughs> Absolutely zero differences between them. Yeah. Uh, one you know, one is orange. a blonde, one is yeah. a blonde, vapid, you know, a symbol of America and the other is uh, Pamela Anderson. Uh, yeah, all right. I could have been a little bit, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the I like the spirit of that, Jeff. But you know the execution. Okay. Anyway, big Devinder, uh, what, Pamela Anderson fan, Dave Chen. What did you think of uh, Borat subsequent movie film? Devinder. Hey, now I grew up watching Baywatch. Okay, like uh, she, she has a place in my heart. Um, this movie was much smarter than I thought it would be, and honestly, I was I was dreading it for a couple of reasons. I was dreading it because the legacy of Borat is just the guys doing Borat voice and Borat impressions. And, <laughs> you know, I, I lived in a college town. I lived in our college town, Dave, uh, when that movie came out and I suffered <laughs> through it. Like the it students, was a dark time in your life. It was, it, it was like. a dark <laughs> time because I was working in it there and like, it was everywhere among the students and like just the what, overall what was town the culture. most common thing. Was it the, my wife or what? Was yeah. It? Yeah. It was, it was definitely my wife, but it was like, I don't, I don't what I don't. It's not even you that still funny. Sound like what you're you? having PTSD. <laughs> yeah, it's not not great. Um, and I have seen the other the other you know Sasha Baron Cohen movies in theaters. Actually, like I saw Bruno in theaters, and I did um, too. Yeah, and uh, didn't we? Did we review the Brothers Grimsby? I don't even remember. I don't think I so. forget. No, I saw it. I saw it. that was one of the movies. That I was saw. a bad film. It was a bad, it was a bad movie. I saw it in New York because, uh, like, I had the freedom of. I guess it was either Movie Pass or AMC A List. And like, when we had the freedom and luxury to just go, you know, waste a couple hours on what was surely to be a bad movie, like I did that. And I like his shtick in general. Although I will say the uh, the 2006 Borat movie or the 2006 Sar- Sasha Bar- Baron Cohen movie I go back to is Talladega Nights because that movie is is perfect. Uh, I I genuinely enjoy this movie. I think it's incredibly smart in terms of like, you know, what it's going after and how it's portraying American culture. As Jeff was saying, I think the first movie, you know, it was it was a simpler time in so many ways, but it was still like, hey, we were in the middle of the Iraq war. You know, things were still terrible. Um, you know, conservative America still had like it, it was the same things, just like not cranked up to 11 like everything is now yeah. um now it seems like yeah they he has a much clearer target he knows what he's like um satirizing i think even with like laser sharp precision at times and the fact that this movie was even made amid the pandemic the fact that they got into so many different situations where i don't even know if we're going to do spoilers for this but you know yeah, let's, they do, get, let's do spoilers in a bit yeah let's we're gonna okay but he gets into situations where it's like i remember that was on the news 
so like there was a Trump impersonator somewhere and they were like escorted out. Like, so it's, it's sort of like behind the scenes, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen has just been like stalking conservatives and like building out this thing. And like, I think I'm, I'm dreading like where, you know, um, fiction set in the Trump era is going to go. Like, I'm not looking forward to revisiting this because hopefully it's all going to be over soon. But I do think like as an end cap, to the madness that we've, you know, lived through. This is like weirdly fitting and perfect, I'd say. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. And I also really, I loved, um, I loved his, uh, the actress who played his daughter, yeah. Maria, Maria Bakalova. Bakalova. Yeah. yeah. She's, she's fantastic. She incredible. like keeps up with him because the Borat shtick is really based on shamelessness and based on the fact that, you know, he will do insane things and not crack. And like, she feels like she is just right up there with him and like they their interplay is really good and at the end at the how end, the hell did they cast this yeah How the hell did they get yeah. her i, I heard they what, like what? tested like 100 or 200 you know women or something so yeah yeah it's insane also the fact that this movie was made is insane and then at the end like i do think it kind of wraps up into a weirdly sweet way that sort of feels like you know sasha baron cohen's ode to his you know teenage children that the world is awful and shit but we're gonna you know live through it somehow like there is a glimmer of hope in this movie i did not expect mm-hmm. that in a borat yeah. two. come on jeff canada your thoughts on borat two well dave i guess you could say my thoughts on borat two are best summed up in the form of a limerick huh combining the fake with real life is rough in a year with such strife the humor is crude, but I was in the right mood because I laughed watching it with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All the All comedy right, points. Nicely yeah. done. Yep. Nicely done. Dave <laughs> says grudgingly. <laughs> you did a good job, Jeff. Thank you. Uh, did, did you work backwards there, Jeff? Did you, did you start with the goal with my wife yeah. i felt i felt so bad when you were talking about it Dimitra, knowing what was coming i was like oh i was prepared i am i cannot I'm lean prepared. into that yeah um i agree with everything Devendra said i um i i mean i i i saw the first movie at a test screening on the warner brothers lot oh wow, wow. yeah no idea anything about it. No idea what I was in for. No concept of who this dude was or what was happening. Like I'd heard about the Ollie G, but I don't even think it was airing here or maybe it was, but I, I, I had no. It was no, really hard to get in, in the U.S. Yeah, it was. Yeah. He was not a thing at all. And it was, it, you know, my buddy and my buddy got this, you know, this invitation to go to this test screening at, at WB and we walked on the lot and went in and sat there and I could not believe what I was watching. Like, I just thought it was the most <laughs> audacious, outrageous. I mean, everybody remembers the scene with like both of the dudes naked running around the, you know, the hallways of the, and I just like, I was like, who is this insane person that made this movie? You know, I just thought it was just, I just, you know, I couldn't believe it. Anyway, um, I think this movie is superior to that first movie in in almost every way it it, like you said Devendra like it actually is about something it's it's a it has real heart and it's it's kind of an extraordinary thing because and we'll get to it in spoilers but clearly at a certain point 
they rewrote this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Having yeah. shot, I'm sure, a ton of stuff. But then all of a sudden they went, OK, and they sort of retrofit this incredibly brilliant idea into a structure that they had already probably shot a lot of. Uh, and that I just I was very shocked about that. And the movie is, I think, very smart. There are some comedic premises in this movie that are genuinely brilliant, genuinely brilliant. They are crude. They are crass. I mean, the Borat style and really the Sasha Baron Cohen style is always go for the lowbrow humor, always go for, you know, poo poo pee pee stuff, right? It is, we are in full, you know, as crude and crass as possible. And I'm not above laughing at any of that. I, but there, but some of his ways to get there are as clever and smart as anything you'll find in comedy. Like I'll talk about some in, in spoilers specifically, but there are, there's one yeah. sequence in particular where I'm like, this is genius. I this think is- I know what you're talking about, but yeah, let's get to it in spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, and I think the, I think the way the movie ends is pretty genius. And yes, his daughter, she's great. How often do you get these days? Uh, the, and introducing in the credits, you know, I, right. I fucking love the and introducing. I love that. Um, and she earns it, right? She is, she is really the star of the show. And one of my favorite things about this movie is how it starts. He goes to America and the first thing that happens is everybody recognizes him. <laughs> it's so smart. It's like a movie acknowledging like Sasha can't do these movies anymore. This is why he can't play Borat. Like, and so the movie comes up with a a reason, a way for him to participate, but also using her as the surrogate, using her as the yeah. proxy for all of this is genius. And she's totally up to the task, right? If you thought that the premise only worked because Sasha Baron Cohen is this mad genius, it's not really true, right? Like they found somebody else that can absolutely do all this stuff. And she is in scenes all by herself with people who are unsuspecting. And pulling it off. And it, I, I don't know. I was impressed by that. I thought, you know, Dave, you referred to this at the beginning. And I, I think it is a really interesting style of movie where you are, you are telling a fabricated fictional storyline, a narrative that you want with people and characters that don't know you're doing that. Right. That you are in the middle. I mean, there's, there are, there are very, very famous people in this movie that are in scenes that exist only to move the plot. Right. Right. It, it's wild. Like, and I was reading the oral, the oral history of the first film and it was very stressful to shoot because you only have one take basically. Yes. Like you, you only have one you only shot have one because shot. the people are yeah, yeah, going exactly. to go, you're an insane person, get out of here and you're never recording me again. Right. Exactly. You know? And, and I mean, clearly there are some people in this movie that, uh, I, I think probably were kind of in on it, but, a lot of them weren't, and a lot of them are are doing exactly what the filmmakers want. You know, it's this crazy like coaxing people into doing things that you want them to do, uh, and it's and it's fun to watch. I I had a great time watching it. I laughed my butt off, and I think it does have some sort of laser sharp critiques of the world. Uh, and I and I it does it in this very blunt way, uh, this very crude way, but they're still effective and. Um, I was impressed that they could even pull off a sequel to this movie at all, let alone one that actually worked this well. 
Indeed, indeed. All right. Well, uh, I think there's much more to discuss, but why don't we get into spoilers um, for Borat 2 starting right now? Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. All right. Uh, so, Jeff, I think the sequence you're talking about, which is the one that I was just, I was kind of staggered by its its brilliance, right? <laughs> yeah. Is the uh, the pregnancy center sequence? Yes. Yep. Yes. Yes. So, the tiny baby inside me. I need to get it out. <laughs> right. So brilliant. You don't see the setup coming correct. at all. Correct. Correct. Yes. That's what's so amazing about it. Yeah. Yes. It, it, it is a genius setup. And, you know, a very primitive and basic concept in comedy yes. is giving the audience more information than the characters, yep. right? Yep. And allowing us to sit in this knowledge of knowing what they're saying and knowing how the doctor is hearing it. Yes. it I mean, I was hurting myself laughing so hard because every single thing they were saying had this wonderful double meaning and was so perfectly set up. Because uh, it didn't feel like this, this you know, walk around the block to get you set up for this thing. It felt like, oh, that all makes sense in the, in, in its own sort of comedic bit, and then all, and you realize, oh no, that was only a setup for this scene. And um, man, what a just a genius comedic concept in my opinion. Well, beyond everything you just said, which I agree with completely, is. The fact that there is a point to it. It wasn't just, ha let's have a nice laugh about yeah, this. Yeah, right. We fooled this, we fooled this guy. It's like, it is meant to be a takedown of these quote-unquote crisis pregnancy centers, right? Yes. Which masquerade as kind of women's rights health centers, um, but in fact are ways to convince women to not have abortions, right? right. Is what this is about. And the idea that this, uh, th they're basically... And entering this center under the guise of a uh, like I, I don't know a, a father sexually abusing his daughter, which is like one of the darkest concepts you can think of, uh, but like making it into something that's funny, but also they're like showing that, the ridiculousness I mean, that, of this guy's reaction to them. It's that. That concept only exists in that guy's mind, right? That they right? didn't go into under the guise of that. You know, they walk <laughs> in. Well, I think I think they knew that that's the effect. Well, of they course, would have, right? yeah, the right? filmmakers yeah. did. Of course, yeah. they, that's the comedic setup, but. The, uh, the, you know, the, it, 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 yeah, it's so, so smart yeah. and so funny. It's so funny. Um, I, I just thought uh, that moment where I, I, I was hurting myself laughing and going, I mean, you, you rarely find like a more exquisitely executed comedic premise. It's great. It's hilarious, but it's also terrifying because the guy is just yeah. like, hey, we're, we're not going to worry about that right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that to me is like, I was that. laughing, but really yeah. just staring at this guy because he was like, oh, yeah, I deal with this every day, I guess, or something. Like, he seemed pretty nonplussed by it, which, uh, frankly, terrified me. Yeah. I think it was um, uh, overall, like, a very heartwarming story. You know, like, uh, this mm -hmm. this idea of him bonding with his daughter, I was... I was taken completely by surprise by, it, you know, cause, cause the whole like pursuing Pamela Anderson thing, it's just like, it's, it's meant to be very silly. I think in, in my opinion, or the original one. And then this one, this story actually has a heart, um, that 
uh, actually got me kind of emotional at times, which is very, you know, not something I expected in a, in a new Borat film. But let me ask you, Tara, how did that like through line work for you? Did, did, did it, did it uh, move you at all? Or were you just kind of like, this is more window dressing for these antics? No, I thought they were, they were very sweet together by the end. And I, I do think the way, as was already said, the way that they, what what the filmmakers and Maria Bakalova do with the the Tudor character is so smart and and a really brilliant evolution for the Borat brand <laughs> you know, in a way like it's kind of a shame that they've they've burned you know the the post makeover version of her the version that interviews Rudy Giuliani because because she when she when you see her all polished and then that in that like Fox News anchor dress it's like yep that's what they look like you know and it's like now she can't do that anymore because everyone knows um you know I do believe she probably has more characters in her but I I agree I think they uh the that that story thread is um, very effectively spun out over the course of the movie. Yeah, yeah, I thought so too. Um, it also uh, struck me that like um, the one of the few sensible p- people in the film was a black woman, and mm-hmm. I, th- I think the movie is tr- trying to say something about how like uh, black women and their sensibilities, and you know, they, the uh, black women as a demographic group put in the work in, from a uh, voting perspective from a political advocacy perspective and um they are going to help save our democracy and i think that that is you know I, I felt that that was kind of an undercurrent in the film even though they never like explicitly identified as such mm-hmm. so i also thought I, i've been reading a bit about um some people saying that you know one of the most positive uh film versions of jewishness exists in this movie and those two wonderful women yeah. that engage with him as when he's in that ridiculously mm-hmm. offensive costume, when he mm-hmm. walks into a, uh, you know, a, a, a temple of worship. And I, I was sad to find out that the, one of them has passed away since the movie was shot. Um, but she is just sweet and loving and wonderful. And I, I want to believe that that scene was entirely genuine and not set up in any way because I, I found that to be, such a beautiful human moment inside this audacious, wacky movie. Uh, well, her estate is also <laughs> suing the movie, so yeah, uh, not that's great. A yeah, so this well, is. I a- guess it wasn't set up then. <laughs> I, I, I thought she came off beautifully. Yeah, she I mean, came I thought, off very, yeah. very, very well. I think. Um, but yeah, the the woman, by the way, uh, is Judith Dim Evans, um, and basically, like, the, you know. The the uh, people who participated in this film, it's fair to say that very few of them understood what the film, the final product of the film was going to be, you uh, know. And so, yep, okay. go ahead. Well, I just Tara? think, I mean, in terms of when you're talking about the the black woman, I assume you're you're referring to the the babysitter that yes, Janice, Tudor Janice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I felt like that she was she was an actor. Like I thought she's an actor, and the QAnon guys are actors. To oh. me, that, that th- those those parts to me is that your conspiracy theory performed. for this movie? <laughs> but but uh but, but I mean even even if they're I guess I'm saying like yeah, even yeah. if they are actors like they're they're um uh the, they occupy like a space in the film that I think is intentional is what I'm trying to say. Sure. Um. So uh anyway uh but I, yes, I do want to hear the truth of this by the way because I think the QAnon guys if that's real cuz i could see that being real and if it is real then it's sort of like oh that that's 
even these guys who can believe in crazy conspiracy theories can be, you know, welcoming and nice, uh, you know, to somebody who they're not threatened or offended by, I guess. Um, right. Yeah. But I mean, mm-hmm. if that was real, like they just let a guy they don't know off the street stay with them for what was obviously days <laughs> with a camera crew. They've like sure. let the camera Why crew not? follow Here's them. Here's my friend. He likes to take videos. The daughter, yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, those are the only two people I think the two that you mentioned, the babysitter and the QAnon dudes, Mm -hmm. I feel unless I'm wrong, I think are the only characters in the movie that had multiple setups. Yep. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So that would, you know, then credence to your theory, I think. But yeah, I was reading Vince Mancini over at Uproxx and uh, he wrote about this movie and he was talking about those two guys. Uh, and I'm quoting from this article, these two guys in this cabin who tell Borat earnestly that Hillary Clinton kidnaps children to drink their blood and harvest adrenochrome. It's a scene that asks me ask an internal. I'm sorry. It's a scene that makes me uh, ask an internal question. We probably never did the first time around. Who is performing for who here? And, <laughs> you know, and I think I think he's basically yeah, saying yeah. right that like these guys know they're on camera. Right. And so on some level, isn't what they are doing a performance, right? And like that's true of anyone that's on camera, but like the fact that they're kind of repeating these QAnon talking points, I think raises that question even more. Like QAnon in many ways is like performative in it to its core, right? The idea of like mm-hmm. we're against like if you see how QAnon manifests in the real world, it's very performative uh publicly. And so um that's definitely something that I think has happened between the first film and this film is the this idea that like some of these people may be performing to the camera more than they were in the first film, right? Well, um, also, I mean, that's kind of my problem with all of the Sasha Baron Cohen style uh, of these kinds of movies. Not, and he's certainly not the only one that does it, but it, 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 it almost always relies on taking advantage of the graciousness of people, right? you know? Yeah. And, and that to me is, is, is kind of mean, and it always makes me cringe a bit. Because even, I mean, I remember a, a scene from, was it Borat or was it Bruno? Anyway, there's a scene where he goes into a nice dinner and he like takes yes. a shit in a napkin Borat. or something. Mm-hmm. Borat, yeah. yeah. And it's like, these are just nice people. You know, these are, these are just people, you know, you can have political differences with people, but anybody that you go in and take a shit in the napkin in their house, like it's, it's just, you're just kind of taking advantage of them. And I, I kind of felt that a little bit with the, um, the menstruation sequence. Yes. Yes. Th- those people, yeah. I mean, there's there some awful things that were said and there's, you can have opinions about the idea of those kinds of balls, but ultimately what you're doing is you're going into somebody's sort of nice event and you're just taking a shit in a napkin. Well, you that know, was it's, also staged. Like they, yeah. that was a staged event for the movie too. Like there, mm. I agree. The, there definitely is a, a general, like who is being punched down at, problem <laughs> you know yeah. like there certainly yeah. are are targets that deserve to be punched up at and we I, I think all can agree who those are um the dads and the daughter at the cotillion like those are not people that i want to hang out with necessarily mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but like are they as bad as a baker who when you say right jews will not replace us in icing on this cake or are, are they as bad as her i would say yeah. no you Although know? Th- that one guy was quick to put a price on his daughter so yeah <laughs> her reaction True. Her reaction yep. was so and her so daughter, amazing. yeah, his daughter's reaction was just like, "What, what the hell are you doing?" Yeah, so, it's, so it amazing. Was. I mean, it, to me, that was amazing. like just a dad being yeah. a dumb dad <laughs> versus <laughs> yeah. like you know, yeah, 
I don't uh, know. I, I, I will say overall, the t- the targets of this one are less random than the first one. Yes. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. um, I, I think overall, there's a lot of like political targets in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are still like some random targets in this film in Borat yeah. 2. Like um, some random guy who has a plastic surgery practice seemingly out in the Midwest. It's like, wow, I, I guess that guy needed to be taken down, you know? like and, I mean, that's, to me, yeah, that's yeah. one where it's like, oh, that's fair. Like, especially yeah, when... Yeah at the end when they're settling up and they're talking to the receptionist and, you know, talking about how much it's going to cost. And, and he's saying to her, like, I need her to look a certain way to the man I'm selling her to. And this receptionist is like, yep, like has no problem. Like, and, and Tudor is standing there looking completely miserable. Like this is clearly a trafficking situation based on the way they're describing it. And the receptionist (laughs) has no problem with it. Like that's the kind of thing where it's like, okay, her, the crisis pregnancy center guy. Yes. Fine. <laughs> I, I mean, the people at the cotillion. Eh. <laughs> well, I, well <laughs> I as know. you, as you point out though, Tara, I think, I think there is something important to keep in mind, which is that the movie is very expertly edited and yes. it's, yeah. it's done in such a way that you don't really know what is real and what is not. And That's like, true. You would, and we don't you would know never if know. they went mm-hmm. to 10 other cosmetic <clears throat> surgery centers yeah. where they said, absolutely right. not will we do this. Right. right exactly. and, and, so, there's, and also there's this element of this Stanford prison experiment to all of it too, yes. right? There's the presence <laughs> of a camera. Like there's a moment where uh, the, you know, the daughter uh, arrives in a crate and comes out and then he has her resealed in the crate. And I think the yeah. movie asks yeah. you to like judge the guy who's sealing her back up in the crate. But to me, I'm like, no, this dude, he sees a camera. Right. He's there. Right. Like, he, knows well, he's, he doesn't actually think he's sealing this girl yes. up in a crate. You know, right, there, right. there's this sort of Stanford prison experimentness to it all, which is like, yeah, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. You got the camera on. That's what I'm here to do. I'm here to sort of serve your purposes. You know, it, 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 I'm not excusing a lot of the abhorrent behavior, but I do think right. there it's more complex than it appears. Well, and the, the biggest punching down victim I would say is from the first one, um, the nation of Kazakhstan and specifically like the <laughs> yeah. people in the village who were ex- so exploited by the production that they also sued, Yeah, which, you know, they didn't get anywhere with it because they were, they were paid a tiny pittance, like in some cases, a couple of dollars for their participation and, you know, humiliated and they didn't necessarily get the full story of what they were agreeing to. And mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. it's not an accident that there's a lot less village footage in this movie versus the last one. Like, I think that was criticism that was brought on board and, and addressed. And so, to the, to yeah, the, the original uh, t- totally under- uh, agreed. Um, the original village, uh, quote unquote, the Kazakhstan stand in in the original was a, a, a village in Romania. I yes, believe. it was a Roma village. Right. Right. But as for Kazakhstan itself, just announced earlier today, uh, after banning the first movie, the country has created tourism ads <laughs> that have adopted the catchphrase "very nice." Very nice. Yeah. Um, so there's literally yeah. a, a video you can watch right now of the Kazakhstan Tourism Commission that says "like very nice." Fifteen years uh, too late, guys. Come on. And, Lean into and it, so, so you know, they, they've come. They've come around. Whether whatever their feelings were on the first film, Tara, <laughs> I think they they've recognized that some benefit has come to them because. Did, of, did they just realize uh, we we just cannot stop this? You yeah, know, we, we've tried so hard, and now he's back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last question before we wrap up this up because we're going a little bit long, but uh, got to talk about the final scene. And mm. uh, Tara, I'm curious. Like, uh, so I think overall. What you're advocate, what you've advocated for Tara, which I agree with, is as with all the media we watch, express a healthy skepticism about what you're seeing, right? Like, <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, any thoughts on the final scene with Rudy Giuliani, which obviously has created <laughs> a lot of stir online? 
Not uh-huh. sure what you're talking about. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> it is kind of, I mean, when you get to it, it is a bummer that it was leaked because we'll never, now none of us will ever know how <laughs> we would have reacted to it if it hadn't been spoiled for us. What was he doing? I don't know. I mean, mm. maybe he, it, it did kind of look like he was just tucking his shirt back in, honestly, but I will After say- After helping the, her unloose her dress a little? like Yes, that's the yeah. more incriminating yeah. part. I mean, honestly, the, the, the fact that she was just like, let's go in the other room and have yeah. a drink, that's where it's, that's the yeah. most incriminating yeah. part. You're, she's 15 or playing 15? Like, come on. I, I don't know yeah. how you can... Uh, yeah, the the tuck thing is every, is what everyone's focusing on, but it feels gross all around. And Absolutely. I'm with a lot of people who are saying, like, this should be the end of Rudy Giuliani because nothing about that scene works in his favor other than no. maybe it was a tuck. I don't know. I would recommend Matthew Desim over at Slate.com did a shot-by-shot analysis of the Rudy Giuliani scene. <laughs> and, uh, film. Yeah, and uh, I would just recommend checking it out because it's it basically – uh, kind of dissects that scene in detail to kind of see, you know, and, and people can make their own judgments on it, but um, I do think it's worth kind of exploring what was actually depicted. So I would recommend this shot by shot analysis. Yeah, I would also point, and, and I'll send this to you, Dave, so you can put it in the show notes too. That that when when This Is America came out, they there one of the articles that was in Deadline talked about you know some of the the scenes that they shot where they it basically was like post harvey weinstein and talking to a hotel concierge and like the setup was what can i do what's the youngest boy i can get Mm -hmm. in this concierge like just answering in a very honest way so like again i don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist but like (laughs) it does seem like there is evidence of you know powerful men are used to getting handed women in various ways and like not really thinking about where they come from or where they go after they're done with them and that yep. to me is what this scene is about more and so it, than the details even as that scene was progressing by the way i just felt terrified for for her you know because it's yeah. i didn't know quite know how long it would go on it just seemed it seemed like a weird dangerous place to put an actor to and I think, I think that's why like, he comes in so fast. He comes in really honestly. fast. Yeah. He yeah. Does. And I've, yeah. I've seen her interviews where she says like she felt safe during the production and that, you know, Sasha Byrne Cohen took care of her and everything. It just seems, man, there, there's so much going on. So many alarm bells in my head just going off at that moment. It's it's yeah. terrifying. Well, well, speaking of safety, I think the thing um, in addition to what you describe, and I, I agree with everything you're saying, Tara, um, about the kind of bigger picture uh, point this, this scene is revealing. But the thing that really shocked and surprised and impressed me is how much of this movie was shot in a way that I would argue Mm -hmm. imperiled the actors, you know, like they are shooting in large groups of people maskless during the coronavirus pandemic, Mm -hmm. um, surrounded by people who probably don't wear masks when they're not in Mm -hmm. the scenes that they're in. Rudy Giuliani is coughing in her face. Yes. Yeah. 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 And it's just like, it takes a, they, I think they understood the risks and they took them because they wanted to make this art. And to me, it's like akin to, you know, Jackie Chan jumping off a bus into a, into a, like a mall window or something like that. It's like, it's like <laughs> they, a they, mall they, window full of coronavirus. <laughs> exactly. it's, like, it's just like they, they, they took a risk for our entertainment. And in this case also to make a point. And I got to say, yep. I admire them for it. So yep. anyway, um, those are our thoughts on Borat 2. Uh, it sounds like we all really enjoyed it. Check it out. It's streaming right now on Prime Video. I do want to disclose, I currently work for Amazon, but not for Prime Video. Um, but that's why I've been trying to not say too much about my personal <laughs> thoughts on the film. Uh, but I enjoyed hearing what you guys thought about it. Anyway, 
Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Hillinger. And our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Next week, we will be discussing On the Rocks, the new Sofia Coppola movie that's available right now on Apple TV+. So that's going to be our movie review of next week. Tar Ariano. It's been so fun. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. This was a joy. Thank you so much for Yay. having me. Yay! Hooray! All right, that's going to bring us to the end. Um, hey, one final thing, by the way. Uh, if you haven't yet, vote. Because by the time we record the next podcast mm-hmm. in the After Dark, we're probably going to know the result. We, we may not know uh, the result, but uh, uh. this whole thing is going <laughs> to... The, the, the end game is going to start beginning. Yeah, no, and we so- will be... Uh, the next episode, tune in next week because we will be talking from the middle of the Civil War in America. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll, we'll probably yeah. have a lot of thoughts on how things go down in the next week. Um, so you're going to hear about that on the After Dark, probably, and maybe on the main show itself. How, so how do you get that After Dark, Dave? It's at patreon.com slash filmpodcasts. Uh, but also, but also on the main feed, but also patreon.com slash film podcast. All right. A thousand before November. A thousand yes. before November. Can we do can it. do it. Help us do it, folks. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. We watch the movies, flicks, tracks for the good, bad. It's the slash film cast. For all the news and the movies coming out, because you know that it's the thing worth talking about. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.